<laughs> Good morning, everybody. It's Thursday, and you're watching Real Talk, and, and I like that inadvertently. Guess, guess who was queuing media while we were getting the show online? Yeah, there we Producer go. Producer Sam Brooks, who, who does the job of 10 people and does an amazing job here on the show. We were just we were just doing some last-minute vetting. Uh, we, were, we were taking a, a, a last, a final look at some of the video that we'll be using a little later on in the broadcast, because here's the thing. Once our good ship sails, uh, once the train has left the station, uh, once we have left the port, so to speak, we're moving and we're going. And once we're on air, you know, we're not throwing to commercial breaks where Sam and I get up and top up our coffees. You know how much that is annoying Sam, by the way, that, that he's unable to top up his coffee through the show. And I'm not saying that. It's, it's fine. It's, it's like I probably could use less coffee in my life. Can we, we really, can we yeah. put you on camera for okay. a second? Yeah, I would like I would that. like for, I would like for the people <laughs> to see you today. There's two things I would like to address. The first I, I think is obvious. The bow tie? The bow tie. Oh, yeah, I, I was just going to not address it. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a pun? You were going to oh, not God. address it? Eh, so we're what, off to that start so, already. So first of all, what's the occasion? Uh, there's no occasion. The, the occasion is uh, I was on the phone with my dad a couple days ago, and he said, I think is just kind of like a like an offhand comment, just said, uh, hey, when are you going to wear a bow tie on air? And yeah. I was like... I have no idea. So this is like, uh, so this just is, like this is for your dad. Pretty much, I was just like, yeah, I'll, I'll put a bow tie. And I, I think the last time I wore a bow tie was like a Christmas party last year. No man, I because like, wait I, yeah, like so we can have the real talk Christmas right? party. Yeah, are you? Uh, yeah, okay. The, the, the second thing I would, the second thing I would like to address because it's going to drive me nuts, uh, only because I know it's going to drive our viewing audience nuts. You won't be, uh, for those of you that are tuning in on the podcast or, or streaming the audio live on Mixler right now, you're not seeing it. Uh, but there's a big black cord that's hanging down the wall. It's coming down the wall there right behind Sam. And, uh, and I don't know if, uh, you know, I mean, you know, we all know the, the friends at home that have had the, uh, Sam, you, you got to show. So here, here's the thing. Now, can I do some, some adjustments here? I'm going to get up from my desk so you, you can take over talking, tell the people what they're seeing here, a new addition to the real talk studio. It's a so, new so. addition to the real talk studio. Yeah. Cool. If you're, if you're going to come over to my desk here, I'll do the, uh, oh, oh, okay, cool. Oh uh, yeah. We've got, we've got, uh, this is like a studio now. We've got the news up on in the background so we can keep tabs on, uh, on, uh, on the headlines while we're on air. It's great. If, so, if something so breaks, all, we'll know uh, about it. So this is all very exciting. That we've got the TV, uh, but because we are at this point uh, a two-person operation on the ground, uh, we've not yet had the time to hide the cable. But for me, this is a real high priority. Like when I walk into somebody's house and they have neatly hidden the cable, uh, I, in some circumstances I'd like to figure out. I'll like walk kind of behind their TV and look, oh, wow, they punched it through the drywall. Like Some people make the real commitment. Others find a way to, to sort of run it along sideways. You know, sort of, sort of a, a horizontally there beside the TV and then drop it down in the corner, I think, which is, is probably what we're going to do. But uh, a very exciting time here in the Real Talk studio. But for today, the black cord will hang down, which will keep us humble, Sam. Yeah, uh, maybe we need a Patreon subscriber to buy us an extension oh, cord. What a great idea. If What a great... See, he's got the hang of it now. <laughs> he's This is... That's how you do it, you know? We, we, we have a, a viewer by the name of Kathy the other day who said, she said, I don't want to sign up on the Patreon. She said, I would I would prefer to make a one-time donation to the broadcast. And I, and I thought... And that's happened to us a couple times already. D does she have an extension cord kicking around? She may. <laughs> 
I could, I could follow up that, and ask her. That's not how this works, but she said, she said But she said, I'd rather just transfer a one-time donation to the show. And I said, well, if you do that, I said, we will transfer back the information letting you know exactly what your donation went to. Right. So, you know, we, we've we've uh, we've added some new window coverings here in the studio. We've added this television. So we're monitoring the 24 hour news networks. We've added uh, recently. Uh, what else did we add? That was uh, of note. The lights we just purchased. We, lights, haven't, yeah. we, haven't, we haven't installed them yet. But thanks to you at home, those of you that are supporting us on Patreon. Oh, we, not only the lights, but I'm going to take the ceiling out and actually overhang the lights. Oh, no, It'll no, be a little no, bit more. Because we haven't cleared that with. The oh, we haven't. Ah, uh, pardon me. It's, it's yeah. Gonna, never mind. Yeah, it's going to be more of a of a forgiveness versus permission type situation. So so I'd rather wait until the work is done, and then the landlord, the studio landlord, if they ever enter the premises, they come in and they're wowed at how good it looks. That's more what I'm thinking along those lines. We'll see. You think? Keep <laughs> keep your fingers crossed, everybody, because right. the, the design we have for this is going to look amazing. Uh, Nathaniel Erskine Smith is a, a Toronto area MP. is going to join us in just a second. But uh, this good ship would not be sailing without the amazing and incredible support of our presenting sponsor. And as you heard yesterday from their CEO Adam O'Brien, who joined us on the show to bring us up to speed on Bitcoin and, and talk about price plunges and big price gains and the markets and disruption and innovation and it was an amazing interview adam's a really inspiring guy you can check that out if, if you missed it just download our podcast or of course you can go to our youtube channel and find the interview there uh they've rebranded and they're pretty excited about it bitcoin well the presenting sponsor of this show uh, they've still got the same goal new name new brand same goal of making bitcoin more accessible and easy uh, providing you with the fastest and safest way to buy and sell bitcoin you can find their ATMs across Canada, including multiple locations here in Edmonton, uh, but they're proudly headquartered right here in the YEG. You can check out BitcoinWell.com for more information or link to them under the sponsors page on our website. All right. MP Nathaniel Erskine-Smith coming up momentarily to talk about drug decriminalization. We're going to talk provincial politics as well today, too, and a whole bunch of other things. Oh, and Dancing with the Stars Mirrorball Champ. Caitlin Bristow will be joining us live at 10 o'clock Mountain Time today. Sam, it's going to be a jam-packed show. Let's roll. Real Talk starts now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. So, yeah, 10 o'clock, coming up in an hour and 20 minutes or so, we're going to talk to Caitlin Bristow of The Bachelorette fame, of, of course, a Bachelor Nation uh, she needs no introduction there. And now, as the mirror ball champ on Dancing with the Stars, she fulfills what sounds like almost a lifelong dream, but certainly one she's had for many, many years. You know, she was born and raised in Leduc, Alberta. Uh, easily the most recognizable, most celebrated, most famous uh, Canadian last week as she uh, hoisted that mirror ball trophy. We're going to talk to her at 10 o'clock today. In between now and then, we'll take on stories in the news, including Alberta's COVID response. But first, we want to take on a story that we teed up on Tuesday. We talked to Andrea Wu from the Globe and Mail out of Vancouver about Vancouver's council voting to decriminalize drugs in that city. Now, they obviously need the cooperation of the federal government, right? We talked to doctors Hakik Varani and Elaine Heishka about decriminalization and about stigma and about the judicial process and about harm reduction. And, and then my brother Kyle Jesperson joined us to talk about his firsthand frontline experience as a manager at Insight, the supervised consumption site in Vancouver's downtown east side. So it makes perfect sense now if we want to advance the conversation to talk to the feds 
so to speak. And when it comes to this liberal government, there's one member of parliament in particular who has really taken a stand and spoken frequently about decriminalizing drug possession. And it's Nathaniel Erskine Smith, who's the member of parliament for Beaches East York. Kind enough to join us this morning. Uh, MP Erskine Smith, thanks for making time. Welcome to Real Talk here in Edmonton. Uh, How are things looking? We're getting you in Ottawa this morning, I'm assuming. Uh, Thanks for having me. I'm actually in my in my riding of Beaches East York. Okay, right on. Well, thank you for making time for us today. Uh, th- this this drug decriminalization idea, this is something, I mean, obviously it's it's gained prominence in the national discussion uh, because of Mayor Kennedy Stewart in Vancouver and a unanimous council vote there, which would require support from the federal government. Uh, but let's be honest, Nate, this is something that you've been talking about for years. When did this first get on your radar and how has your perspective on it evolved maybe over the years? I probably first came to the issue when I was an undergraduate student at Queens and I had a a former police officer from New York State come to campus and speak about the failure of prohibition and how we need a new approach. And I was shocked the more you, I mean, you grow up learning that drugs are bad and prohibition, there's a certain underlying rationale to it. But as you get into the evidence, you realize people of all political stripes, people of all different backgrounds, and certainly those with life experience have been calling for a new approach and suggesting rightly that the war on drugs is not only an abject failure, but that it is harming the very people we want to help. And so you, uh, I, I think, uh, and it's interesting if people do some background on you and Google you, they'll, they'll find that oftentimes you're referred to as a maverick MP. In other words, I think what that means in a complimentary sense is, is that you represent your constituents and you're not always towing the party line. How have conversations, caucus conversations around this issue gone or, or, or have there been caucus conversations for that matter? I first wrote probably publicly in support of decriminalization in 2016, I I think. And from there, I'd put forward a caucus policy resolution to address the opioid crisis through a public health approach, to expand treatment options, to treat drug use as a health issue, and to reclassify simple possession as an administrative violation, i.e. remove the criminal sanction to decriminalize. And that actually received strong support from caucus to the point that it went to our convention floor. It became a liberal priority among the liberal membership. Unfortunately, the government has yet to take it on. And so it's interesting timing because just last night, I spoke for the first time opening the debate for Bill C-236 that I introduced, and I spoke in support of decriminalization. My bill wouldn't go quite that far because I want to get government support to change the law, but it will hopefully expand the conversation beyond my caucus and, and among all parties. Uh, so th- what do you what do you make of the move that Vancouver's council has has uh, uh, put forth here? I mean, f- for starters, uh, I think at any level of government, I'm always intrigued uh, w- w- without a party system, although Vancouver's council kind of has it a little bit. We won't get into the weeds there, but unanimous votes always say something. I mean, you know, here in Edmonton, as an example, you'd never see or you'd very rarely see a unanimous vote uh, by a city council. How did this one uh, impress you? What impression did it make on you, I should say? I think it's a testament to the fact that the evidence is overwhelmingly clear and that it comes from all quarters. So not only are we living through a pandemic, but we're also living through a serious opioid crisis where over 16,000 Canadians have died because of opioid-related deaths since early 2016. And that 
number, by the way, is only tracked until March 2020. And we know that the opioid crisis has only been exacerbated by the pandemic. And we've seen many more deaths, particularly in BC, but also here in Toronto and in Ontario and across our country. And we've seen not only Vancouver City Council unanimously call, and that's a really important call, and I hope our federal government heeds that call and we can get into that. But we've also seen public health experts, longstanding calls from Bonnie Henry. We've seen our chief public health officer here in, at, at the national level, Theresa Tam, say we need a societal discussion about decriminalization. And in July, we saw the Canadian Association of Chiefs of Police call for decriminalization. And you had our Chief Justice of Ontario, Justice Strathy, open the courts and refer to the police chief's position, refer to public health experts, and himself muse that we need a new approach outside of the courts and a more health-focused approach. So can you see this happening? I mean, can, can you see this becoming a federal government priority? I can imagine uh, what opposition messaging would be like. I mean, to be frank, you know, Justin Trudeau and the liberals want to want to turn loose drug users and have them shooting heroin in the streets. And they're trying to turn, you know, Canada into a, in, into injection alley. And I mean, I, the, the messaging, I think, would be divisive. Um, I, I'd love to have a debate with anybody that, that would suggest to me that it would look anything different than that. I'm not sure that this would require political leadership. Uh, if you look at the political leadership it took to decriminalize uh, or to legalize cannabis, for that matter, you and I, Nate, and anybody else that'll be honest that's watching today knows that society stacks up drugs, don't we? We, we put them on a scale. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here drinking coffee right now, and nobody's going to judge me for that. If it was a little later in the morning, maybe I'd have a beer open because we're independent. I can do whatever I want. If I decided to light up a joint in here, some people would be surprised. Other people would probably compare me to Joe Rogan. But if I started injecting drugs uh, here on set while you and I were talking, people would be appalled for the most part, right? We, we've created sort of a moral spectrum. So, so how does that play into political and public appetite for actually taking meaningful, tangible action on this, do you think? It obviously creates serious political challenges. We should acknowledge that different drugs bring different risks. We just recently legalized cannabis and of course alcohol, which has been legal for a much longer period of time, is much more harmful and has much more potential risk than cannabis. And so we perceive risks differently, but different drugs have dif different risks. And fundamentally, I think the answer, if we were to look well into the future, is to regulate all drugs according to their respective harms. We should also recognize that drug use occurs on a spectrum. There is beneficial use and all the way to chronic dependence and addiction. And so different drugs, including what we might perceive to be quite harmful drugs, can be used in a context that is much safer at times. Now, when we get to the political challenge, we don't have to imagine what opposition members might say, certainly from the conservative aisle, typically. We see, we saw it, I certainly saw it in the spring. I introduced the bill to decriminalize drugs and immediately there was a press release from the conservatives to say the member from Beaches East York want drugs on every, wants drugs on every street corner. And, and so it goes in politics, unfortunately. Of course, though, when the police chiefs called for the very same thing in July, the conservatives didn't have that same press release. So I think there is movement in the right direction. Now, it does require political leadership. It requires political requires political leaders to educate the public, to elevate the voices of public health, public health experts and police chiefs. And unfortunately, at the federal level, we haven't seen enough of that. We've seen some of that out of John Horgan. We've seen some of that out of now uh, Mayor Stewart, but we haven't seen enough of that at the federal level. We've seen some important progress through safer supply pilot projects, through dollars to expand treatment options, but we haven't seen enough of an emphasis, I think, on removing the criminal sanction. And, and I'll just leave you with this thought, but we, we spend millions of dollars 
on a public health education campaign to address the stigma associated with seeking treatment. That's from the federal government. But the biggest stigma associated with seeking treatment is the criminal sanction. And, and I, I personally think it's cognitive dissonance in action and then it's costing lives. Yeah. And, and by the way, just to be clear, uh, MP Nathaniel Erskine Smith, our guest, by the way, if you're just tuning in on our Mixler audio stream, the MP out of Beaches, East York, uh, we've got all the time in the world, my man. So uh, the way that the, <laughs> the way that we're rolling, right, you don't have to cut your answer short. You're not going to get clipped here. You're not going to wind up with an eight second soundbite. Uh, we want you to feel free to develop your thoughts. That's exactly what we're doing here. Uh, Nate, do you think it's because when, when you I mean, because because we know that, you know, for example, you proposed and, and you got into this a little bit, that decriminalization bill prior to the last election, you promised to submit it again if reelected, which you were uh, by a resounding majority in your riding. Obviously, your constituents uh, gave you another mandate and believed in what you're doing. That's got to feel good on a side note. And it's obviously got to probably fill your tank a little bit with regards to your motivation to put that back in front of your uh, fellow MPs. Am I making am I oversimplifying it in, in touching on the, the potential political unpopularity of this or is there more at play? Because I think I mean, you look at some of the other advantages, reducing stigma, uh, you know, untying the courts to a certain degree. Right. I mean, imagine how much you'd free up the courts if they weren't dealing with small possession charges. Is there some other element at play that we haven't addressed yet that people should know about? I think it is purely politics that stands in the way. The evidence is overwhelming, and we do need to recognize that we have to overcome the politics, which is why I emphasize the need for political leadership and education. We need to point to the evidence. We need to point to the real cost that, in fact, our drug policy right now is hurting the very people we want to help. And I've been asked questions. I've, I have a area in my riding, Crescent Town, and I, I it's... 10,000 people that live in four buildings and uh, it's uh, a lower income area and a South Asian population. And I attended a town hall there a number of years ago. And I get asked a question at the back at the very end of the town hall, you, you've been vocal about decriminalization. What's that all about? Why do you want to legalize all drugs? And I'll tell you that they were more concerned about cannabis legalization from a recreational point of view. They completely understood right away as soon as you got into the evidence and got into a serious adult conversation about it, that we need to save lives and, and our policies are getting in the way of that. And I think we do a disservice to Canadians of all backgrounds to put messaging out there that is dismissive of decriminalization, but worse, that vilifies it as if that is going to lead to a substantive increase in drug use that is going to harm our kids. And really this is about saving lives and following the evidence to save lives. And I think we're getting closer to that. We're not there yet, it's still a political challenge, but. When the police chiefs are on board, it's easier. And I think there are opportunities like in Vancouver where there are opportunities to effectively pilot a solution. We look at Insight that started out in Vancouver many years ago. That is effectively a decriminalized space. Yeah. And that started out, conservatives fought it. And eventually the Supreme Court weighed in unanimously to say its benefits have been proven, it saves lives. And now we have a government that has expanded safe consumption sites and there have been 40 approvals in the last number of years from the federal government. So small steps can make a big difference down the road. So I, I hope that, and I think it's incumbent on us as a federal government to take the evidence seriously and to heed the call and, and grant the request of Mayor Stewart. I would also say that hopefully the bill that I introduced, which isn't as far as decriminalization, but it would effectively limit the discretion of police officers and prosecutors. They would not be able to move forward with a charge for simple possession unless it was consistent with 
a set of principles about treating drug use as a health issue, and if they thought it was inappropriate to give a warning or referral. So only if, if that would be insufficient could they proceed with a criminal charge. So I hope that in limiting the discretion, I don't know if that bill will become law. I expect it will get to committee though. And my goal there, my experience in the last parliament, that committee can be a, a way to elevate a conversation that no one's going to listen to the speech I gave. Well, maybe not no one. Very few people will listen to the speech I gave last night and watch the speech I gave last night in the House. But I think many more people, if I get the chiefs of police to attend at committee and I get Bonnie Henry to attend at committee and I elevate those voices through committee, I think that's part of the public education exercise that we as political leaders need to bring to bear. And, and that's how we change minds. And that's ultimately how we change laws. Nate Erskine-Smith is our guest, Ontario MP, who has uh, long discussed, I mean, Nathaniel, you and I have, have spoken several times, as a matter of fact, in, in my previous employ on Terrestrial Radio about this. This is something that's been on your radar for a long time. Uh, of our listening uh, audience, our viewing audience, rather, tuned in on YouTube right now, Judy says, uh, Nate's totally correct. This is only a political issue. Uh, we need to be asking the medical community what should be done. This is an interesting point from Jeff, who's watching this morning, watching our live stream. I don't know if this is true or not, uh, but he says a rat in a cage will choose cocaine-laced water over distilled water. Rats in community will choose the distilled water. Legalize. That from Jeff. I don't know if he's citing a specific study. If anybody knows, it would be you, Nate. Uh, do you have any comments on, on what Jeff just put out there? It's an interesting insight with regards to to living beings in community. The Senate actually did a really fulsome report on illicit drugs a number of years ago. And I mentioned, I referenced it in the House last night in reference to the fact that this isn't only about saving lives, this is also about addressing a racial injustice. And we look to the history of our drug laws, they were racist in their creation, particularly in reference to Chinese Canadians in the case of opium, but they are still today racist in their application. But that Senate report also went into the evidence on addiction and found that very evidence, which is to say, when people turn to addictive behavior, whether it is drugs, whether it is uh, eating, whether it is gambling, whether it is drinking, these are oftentimes there are underlying causes that are leading to that behavior and we should address those underlying causes and by criminalizing the very activities that they are adopting to, to address that that underlying root cause, we're actually making the situation worse. And we are stigmatizing them, we're further marginalizing them, and we're ensuring, if anything, that they don't get the help that they need. And you know, Judy's exactly right that we need to listen to our public health experts. And what has been most frustrating in some ways, I'm very glad that we are listening to our public health experts in the course of this opioid, or in, in the course of the COVID crisis. But wouldn't it be nice if we, took them as seriously in the case of the opioid crisis. Well, and that's the thing is, is like I'm sitting here and I'm just thinking like the numbers that you're putting in front of us, like 16,000 Canadians dead uh, as part of this opioid crisis. And, and I just I mean, you know, if if we weren't in the midst of a pandemic, uh, I think it's safe to say that there would be a, a, a dramatically different level, I think, at least of public conversation around this, right? We talked to Andrea Wu, the health journalist from the Globe and Mail the other day, uh, Nathaniel, she's, she's pointing out to us, she says five people here are dying every single day, right? And it's and, and, and for a moment, it's, it's hardly profound, and I recognize that my observation is not profound, but these, you know, we get so caught up, I, I put these, these COVID-19 statistics up, or we could, put, we could put fentanyl overdose or opioid overdose statistics up, on, and, and, and they're numbers, but they're 
people, five people in B.C., two people in Alberta uh, every single day. And, and you, you have to wonder why there's not more, I don't think, of a, of a, of a public appetite to address this immediately. If 16,000 people had died in Canada over the past number of years of anything else, uh, we would be demanding immediate and, and quite frankly, open-minded action from the government. We would want all options considered. It works out to, on Health Canada's numbers, about 11 people a day across the country who are dying because of the opioid yeah. crisis. That's before the pandemic, and we know the pandemic's only made it worse. So unquestionably, we need to be open to all solutions. Now, you'll hear the prime minister at times and, and maybe other government ministers say decriminalization is not a silver bullet. And they're right, because we know that the toxicity of the drug supply is killing people, and decriminalization alone isn't going to address the toxicity of the supply. But it is a necessary tool in the overall toolkit, the overall suite of policies that we need to save lives. And leaving any of those tools by the wayside or, or worse, pushing them away because of politics is going to cost lives. And we absolutely need to be open to all ideas. And it's frustrating when you now see public health experts, but you also see police chiefs. I just don't think the political path is that hard to chart from here on out. But it does take political leadership and it does take that education. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that when you have the medical community, uh, let me put it this way, when you have scientists with data and, and, and research backed conclusions and leaders in law enforcement seeing eye to eye on policy and politicians uh, quite frankly, too timid to take it on. Uh, I think that that's a problem that needs to be reiterated here uh, to the general uh, population. I also can't help but note, uh, Nate, that the, the difference in policy or perspective uh, as you move province to province, and you've touched on that. You referenced, for example, Premier Horgan uh, in British Columbia. I, I don't need to tell you that just east of there uh, is us. And our provincial government is, uh, while ramping up some funding on some addictions treatment programs, uh, withdrawing a ton of funding and support from supervised consumption services. Uh, the premier's been very clear, Jason Kenney has, how he feels about them. He said, you know, basically to paraphrase, uh, but to use some of his words, it's not up to us basically to help addicts inject poison into their bodies, right? It's, a, it's an ideological and moral judgment made that'll influence politics. And as you moved across Canada to each provincial or territorial jurisdiction, I'm sure you'd get a bit, a bit of a different take on it. But these are Canadians that we're talking about. Uh, I guess what I'm getting at is it's pretty important sometimes, I think, to have a federal. Now, I know in matters of health, the federal versus the provincial levels can can spur hours of conversation and debate. But I wonder if this really won't have teeth, this movement, until the federal government, until a federal government decides to take it on. If I'm being honest about the way forward, given the politics that I have certainly pushed against in the course of my elected career since 2015, I would say looking at a jurisdiction like BC, maybe even easier for Vancouver, but it would, I think, be very useful and important for the federal government to grant an exemption for a city or a province. And then the rest of the country would realize the sky didn't fall in the same way we realized with insight that in fact, these measures did save lives and we could then build upon that. I think the same could happen in Toronto, though I'm doubtful that our city council will make that same request, though I wish that they would. And the other way forward, I hope, I, I thought long and hard about, I had two bills, one full decriminalization and one that is a softer path. It's more of a diversion measure. 
I thought long and hard about which one to move forward with. I knew that the full decriminalization would not get the government support as second reading. It would not go to committee and it would just end there with an up and down vote as second reading. So I move forward with the softer measure. It's not the one that I personally prefer or think will make the biggest difference, but I think it is the one that will ensure that this conversation continues in a more serious way at the national level. And so those are the different ways I think that we can try to address the politics in the short term. And I do have to go because I've got the yeah. industry committee in, in two minutes and the competition commissioner coming. But uh, I think it's really important to emphasize when I talk about police chiefs, I had Brian Larkin, the Waterloo police chief on a podcast that I host. And I asked him, okay, you, you support decriminalization now, but you're calling for sort of a federal task force to establish the rules that, that then might decriminalization might entail. What do you think about a local jurisdiction like say Vancouver or Toronto making the request? Do you think that would be a, a way to, to move this conversation forward? And he was emphatic that the police chiefs would in, uh, support that measure. And when I reached out to Patty Haidu's office, she and her team said that they were working with Mayor Stewart and Premier Horgan consistent with the recommendations of the police chiefs. So we'll see where that all leads. That's, uh, by the way, uh, Uncommons Canadian Politics with Nathaniel Erskine Smith, the podcast. I, want, I was just going to wrap with that to let you know how many of our listeners and viewers right now are telling us that they very much enjoy it. Uh, Nathaniel Erskine Smith, MP out of Beaches, East York. Uh, we, you got 30 seconds to get to your commitment. Thanks so much for doing Real Talk this morning. We appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. You okay. got it. Uh, Sam, let's take a quick break, and then we'll get to some of the news headlines. Uh, we're going to move our focus to provincial politics in, in just a moment. Uh, right now, I uh, wanted to remind you that the teams at Dairy Queens in Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park are one of the big reasons that we're able to stream live to you every morning and bring you our podcast every afternoon. So they're Christmas frozen ice cream logs. Have you ever had these? You ever dug into these, Sam? You ever dug into the, the Christmas frozen ice cream log? I I have never got one of the frozen ice cream. I love the oh, ice dude. cream cakes. I've never got the frozen ice cream logs. I did get a Christmas blizzard yesterday, though. You did? Oh, yeah. So I, okay, and and congratulations. The the show is working. I'm, I'm at home working on prepping some media for the, the show today, and my fiance comes into the room, and she's like, your show got to me. I want Dairy Queen for supper. Yes! <laughs> yes! Music to my ears! That's two points for Kelly. That's two points for you for making it happen. <laughs> well, there you go. You can't resist the call when the Dairy Queen calls. Uh, so frozen ice cream logs. How was your dinner, boy? What'd you go with? They've, they've got the they got the, the, the like flame grill. This ad is going to be three minutes. Yeah, now. I know. Uh, I went with that uh, that steakhouse burger that there. It's a promo Ooh. one they've got on right Ooh. now. Oh, it's and, nice. Uh, and delicious. Okay. Dairy Queen burgers taste like. They're they're obviously cooked like not on a flat iron like they have sort of that that real barbecued taste. Well, to they've them, always you know talked I mean? about their flame yeah. broiled beef, and it right? shows. Yeah, it, it absolutely shows. Ladies and gentlemen, believe it or not, Sam and I did not rehearse this uh, ahead of time. This is real talk. You're going well, Northwest Edmonton in Sherwood Park. Is this is this ad four minutes yet? Yeah, I think we're getting up there. We're talking Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount. Y Gardens and Baseline Road. Those are those are Mike and Mark's stores, and they're the guys that are back in this show big time. Uh, Sam, why don't we take a, a couple of minutes and, and just get into the news headlines so people know what we're dealing with on this Thursday morning. Can you load up Alberta's COVID-19 numbers for me, Sam? This is a, a reality check uh, for those of us that... that uh, 
are keeping a keen eye on the daily numbers as they change. These are the numbers as announced yesterday by Premier Jason Kenney uh, late in the afternoon yesterday. 17,144 cases of COVID-19 in Alberta as of yesterday around 4 o'clock. That included Wednesday's number of 1,685 new. That's 504 in hospital, 97 in the ICU, and 10 Albertans lost to COVID-19 a total of 561 since we started dealing with this pandemic. Meantime, Alberta unveiling its vaccine distribution strategy. Uh, you've been hearing this story, no doubt, uh, whether it's you and your friends texting back and forth or hearing it from officials. Alberta will ask the federal government and the Red Cross to supply field hospitals for a contingency plan. Uh, 425 intensive care unit beds, 2,200 and change regular beds, uh, part of the promise from Health Minister Tyler Shandro uh, saying the field hospitals are not part of that expansion plan. Uh, the CBC reporting a, a federal source says the province likely to receive four field hospitals, two from the Red Cross, two from Ottawa. Uh, another source within the Alberta government confirming to Post Media that it's contingency planning with no specific plan to activate them. Can you grab me that Christine Elliott clip out of Ontario? This is... Uh, I mean, some insight into where the federal government is uh, coming to Alberta's aid here, but also the situation Alberta's in, field hospitals. Like, this is no joke. This is people in tents outside in the winter, a contingency plan if these numbers continue to rise. So Canadians across the country looking to their provincial governments, they're the ones managing pandemic response, and some provinces are, are really taking it on the chin uh, from their local residents. I mean, you look in Manitoba, Premier Brian Pallister's uh, approval rating is is right at the bottom of where Canada's premiers stand right now. Uh, Premier Pallister with a 32% approval rating as Manitoba's numbers per capita extremely high as well. In Alberta, Jason Kenney with 40% approval. And then you get into Newfoundland, Ontario, Saskatchewan, 53, 55, 61%. John Horgan, most popular uh, premier in Canada, at least by way of approval rating with a 64% approval rating. Ontario's government feeling a bit of heat. As mentioned, Premier Doug Ford with a 55% approval rating, but it was Minister Christine Elliott, health minister, that threw a bit of a hand grenade to the West yesterday as she was facing questions from opposition members. Check this out. In fact, Ontario is not in crisis right now. You want to speak about who is in crisis? Have you taken a look at Alberta where they're doubling up patients in intensive care units? We're not doing that in Ontario. Okay, so that's in the Ontario legislature. We're not in crisis, says their health minister. Have you seen Alberta? So the entire country uh, is paying attention to that right now. Boy, oh boy. Sam, you know what? Why don't we just roll into what we're going to talk about this half hour? We're, we're, we want to bring you some of what uh, Premier Jason Kenney had to say yesterday, and then we want to get into this. We're going to be monitoring. We are always monitoring our Real Talk RJ hashtag, as well as the comments here on our YouTube stream. If, if, if you're watching, if you're streaming YouTube live, we encourage you to leave a comment here. We, we are monitoring those, and it's your best way to get to us right here on the show directly, or again, the Real Talk RJ hashtag. I'm curious what you made of Alberta's plan, what you make of Alberta's numbers, the idea of field hospitals. Uh, Jason Kenney addressed the province yesterday afternoon, and, and Sam, here's a, a portion right, of what the Premier had to say when it came to vaccines. I continue, I want to be clear, Alberta's government will not make any mandatory vaccination. Some think that this is controversial, but we don't live in a country where government can inject you with something against your will. 
if this is, uh, in this, I follow the spirit of Sir Wilfrid Laurier, who famously said that, quotes, I'd rather try the way of persuasion. There is more to be gained by appealing to the heart and soul of men rather than to compel them to do a thing. In fact, Alberta's government will soon amend the Public Health Act to remove that power of mandatory inoculation that has existed in law since 1910. But we need as many Albertans as possible to get vaccinated. And let me be clear about that. I will certainly choose to receive this vaccine when it's my turn, and I strongly urge others to do so. So that's Premier Jason Kenney uh, yesterday uh, talking about vaccines. We, we've been hearing that, that you know, with, with promising uh, results when it comes to the testing of these vaccines, that Canadians could have access to them uh, rolled out, of course, over time with, with uh, certain elements, certain groups, certain people, frontline workers, seniors, vulnerable citizens, obviously receiving the vaccine uh, before others. Uh, but the premier speaking about vaccines, it's it's the tone that he took here, though, and it's the angle he took that really troubles me. And we wanted to reference as well. Uh, this is an image. This is an official image pushed out by the premier yesterday with his quote on it. And I want you, if you're watching right now, to, to take a close look. We're going to leave this up here for a minute so you can take a close look at this. And I'm going to read it for those of you that are that are right now on your way. You're maybe you're, you're 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 driving the highway or you're at home and you're listening to this. You don't see this. This was tweeted out by Premier Jason Kenney yesterday. I want you to pay attention now for the graphic designers in the mix here. I don't need to explain this to you, but 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 let me point out a couple of the things here. Okay, this is obviously designed to make a to make a certain focus very apparent and that is the fact that and if I read this according to how a designer would have you read it with the will not in bold blue and the large uh, letters here as compared to the small print below it this is how I would read this and this is how this would resonate in most people's brains as they process what they're reading okay Alberta will not in other words Alberta will not in other words Alberta will not make any vaccine mandatory, right? And then the small print. But we need as many Albertans as possible to get vaccinated. I will when it's my turn, and I hope others will too, Premier Jason Kenney. Alberta will not make any vaccine mandatory. But we honestly need as many people as possible to get the vaccine because we're in serious trouble right now, and I will get the vaccine as soon as I can, and I encourage everybody else to please do the same. But still, please vote for me next time, Premier Jason Kenney. That's what that says. What sort of a message does that send? What What does that send to you, that image right there? Right. It's obvious what message it sends. If I were designing that message and if it would be flipped. Right. Sam, if we put that that up again. I really want to focus on this because this is this type of thing may fly under the radar for some people. But this is the type of thing that people need to demand answers about. The large print should read. We need as many Albertans as possible to get vaccinated. I will when it's my turn and I hope others will, too. And then you put an asterisk on it, and in the small print, you say, Alberta will not make any vaccine mandatory. Right? That's leadership. Leadership is recognizing that we have a vaccine that scientists around the world, researchers around the world, and, and we will celebrate them appropriately in the months and years to come. Right? We, we, I've got an email here that I want to get to in, in a little bit from uh, a listener by the name of Gary who wrote in about the polio vaccine. And talking about the vaccine hesitance and, and how people were team players back in the day and, and they got the vaccine. And you imagine what a world 
without a polio vaccine might look like, right? We know that there's going to be a vaccine here. I mean, let me let me just read it right now because I have it in front of me. This is from Gary. We appreciate him listening to the show. You can send me an email anytime uh, by visiting or by typing in talk at ryanjesperson.com. It's also where you can submit your trash talk for Friday's feature. Gary says, you know, remember polio. This vaccine also was once new. Almost everyone had the needle. This vast majority recognized the harm polio could cause. Today, there seems to be people who have decided to disregard COVID-19. In the 50s, the vast majority recognized the benefits to them and to others of taking the Salk vaccine, the polio vaccine, and polio was almost erased. That from Gary. Now, we talked to Professor Tim Caulfield the second second or third day we did the show, Sam. I think it was the second day that we talked to Tim Caulfield. Uh, he, he's got a, a brand new book coming out, uh, Relax, Damn It, uh, A Survival Guide in the Age of Anxiety. Uh, he's, he does a remarkable job with health education and messaging. And he talked to us, we talked to him about vaccine hesitance. And there's a difference between being an anti-vaxxer and vaccine hesitance. Right. Anti-vaxxer, you know, are the people that that let their little boys die in the back of minivans because they're treating their meningitis with horseradish. Those are the anti-vaxxers. Right. I don't have a whole lot of time for that. We dedicated a lot of time to the to the vaccine hesitant uh, movement, if you want to call it that, because I think that that's understandable. And to a certain degree, you don't blame people that say, uh, you know, I I just want to be careful because it seems like this is being rushed and I'll probably get it. But I want to see other people get it first because I just don't know. And, and, and it's tough sometimes to tell which way is up in, in the age or the era of a pandemic with things swirling around and changing all around us and everything different than it once was. And, and I just don't know right now, but I'll probably get it. And, and, and I know that I and, I, and the scientists are, pro- and, and yeah, but I just, I just need more information. Understandable. And that's where I think messaging is really important. It's why we'll talk to researchers. It's why we'll talk to physicians. It's why we're going to talk to, to health law experts I mean, you want to get the facts. You want to have a, a, a full and, and, and complete understanding. You want to have faith in the system that is testing these vaccines and that has tested vaccines for decades, that same system. No testing agency, no federal government, and, 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 and down the road, no provincial government will be lifting standards of testing on any vaccine. But when this vaccine is available to Canadians, to Albertans, we recognize how important it is. If we ever want to get back to some semblance of normal, we recognize we will need a population that by and large has been vaccinated. And I suppose that some of you will feel like these comments are controversial. I really don't think so. I think that's pretty obvious. So a political leader that right now is the face of the province that has the worst COVID-19 outbreak in Canada with the second lowest popularity rating in Canada may have the insight and you would think would have the people around him to suggest that the important messaging on the day that vaccine announcements are being made, on the day that Albertans and Canadians are talking about vaccine availability, vaccine procurement, vaccine rollout, you would think that the premier's top priority would be to say, when we have access to the vaccine, we will need as many Albertans to take it as possible, and I will be taking it. 
And for those of you that are freaked out about it or have religious beliefs around it or have some other problem with it, don't worry. Obviously, we're not going to make it mandatory because nobody ever suggested we would. It's not a thing. There's nowhere in Canada, there's nowhere in the free world where any politician would seriously suggest that it would be viable political policy to force people to inject vaccines. That would never happen. I thought it was interesting, as a matter of fact, you remember back in the 2019 provincial election, the Alberta party was doing everything that it could to get people's attention, talking about dedicated lanes on Alberta's QE2 highway for autonomous vehicles. And they were trying to come up with things to just, just compel people to consider them as a party. And one of them, as rolled out by former Edmonton Mayor Stephen Mandel, a former health minister uh, for the progressive conservative government under Premier Jim Prentice in Alberta, uh, Stephen Mandel leading the Alberta party at that time said that the Alberta party would make vaccines mandatory for kids attending public schools. If you wanted to enter the school building, the vaccine would be mandatory. There were all these kind of parameters or caveats, right? You know, kids, if you wanted to attend public schools, right? In other words, you could learn from home, you could homeschool, you could go to a, a private or charter school, you could have all these different, there were outs. But they put that in, in front of the population as, as, as this would be something we would require. We would require vaccines for kids in public schools. That's about as far as we've seen any political party in any jurisdiction in Canada, at least any sane political party. That's about as far as we've seen them go on this. Nobody is suggesting that vaccines will be mandatory. So why is Premier Jason Kenney, with his top-shelf, big-font, bolded messaging, pointing out first that Alberta will not make vaccines mandatory? What message does it send? That's a rhetorical question. It's obvious what message it sends. The message is that for those of you that do not inoculate your kids, that believe that vaccines cause autism, that get all your crackpot theories off Facebook, don't worry, we've got your backs. And then in small print, oh yeah, but by the way, we seriously are in serious trouble right now. We're ordering field tents. I'm going to steal the joke from Luke Fevin off Twitter. He said, when Jason Kenney talked about a big tent for Albertans, I didn't think it was outside a hospital in minus 20. When Jason Kenney promised a big tent, I don't think we were envisioning field hospitals. But on the same day that the CBC breaks the story about the Alberta government looking to Ottawa again, by the way, <laughs> looking to Ottawa again, by the way, why does Justin Trudeau hate Alberta? By the way, can we have two field tents? Because we're really screwing this up out here. Why is the primary messaging, we will not force you, we will not make the vaccine mandatory? Literally nobody was saying that the government would. I think it's because popularity and support is dwindling, but the base that will, well, prop this government up right now, especially in the writings where they need it most right now, that can contribute to public messaging and take on social media and support this government, they're the ones that are most concerned, not about 97 Albertans in ICU, not about 560 Albertans in the hospital, not about 17,000 cases of COVID-19, most concerned about the not real scenario around being forced to take vaccines. It's crazy. It's weird is what it is. And it's disappointing. So I'm curious to know what our uh, viewing audience is saying about this. We want to check out the Real Talk hashtag Real Talk RJ. 
Carling J is watching. Carling, thanks for tuning in, says, you know, Jesperson's right about the image that the premier shared yesterday. The messages should have been flipped that he's planning on taking the vaccine. That should be in large print. Can we show it again? I mean, I just I want to bang this drum. People, this this might not be obvious and apparent to people, but I, I, I geek out. I nerd out about stuff like this. You know, you look at RyanJesperson.com or you look at any project we do. You look at our fonts and our graphic design. So much strategy and consultation and expertise goes into things like font size, color, spacing, right? Alberta will not make any vaccine mandatory. But we need so many Albertans as possible to get vaccinated. I will when it's my turn. I hope others will too. The blue should read, I will Right. I will get vaccinated. We need as many Albertans as possible to do the same. That needs to be the bold print because that is what bold leadership looks like. It's not an accident that Alberta is experiencing the numbers it is. I guess this is kind of a personal question for me to ask you, Sam. It is a personal question. But when you when when you're the senior producer of Real Talk, there's going to be real talk every morning. Now, I've kind of ran my mouth for about 15 minutes here on my opinion, but please feel free to speak freely. If, if you have a dissenting opinion, I'd love to debate it and hear you out. But where do you stand on a on a vaccine? Is it a no brainer for you? Do you have certain hesitance around a vaccine? Where do you stand once it's available? Yeah, it's a no brainer for me. Um, full stop. It, it's a no brainer. I will I will roll up my sleeve and, and thrust my arm at a nurse when it is my turn to get the vaccine. Absolutely. Um I actually want to speak a little bit to just the notion of vaccine hesitancy, if I could, for a bit, uh, because we have people that are vaccine hesitant and and they're professionals and we employ them and they're called scientists. Um, the whole scientific community is the most vaccine hesitant community because they know they have to get it right. They know it has to go through rigorous testing. They know it has to go through clinical trials. They know it has to go through health approval agencies all over the world. They know that like, literally the health of the planet is in their hands right now. And we've turned this problem over to our researchers and our doctors and our nurses and our lab technicians to solve for us. And we trust that they're going to be the most vaccine hesitant among us so that when they come out and they say this is approved for use, we know it's safe and we know it's ready to go. Like, I think that talking about not making vaccines mandatory and making that the bold headline just undermines our scientists full stop. It's saying I, as a politician, no better than the scientific community around the globe working on this pandemic. And I'm going to put your personal liberties among or above the public good in the way that I present my message. It's, it's all this. It, it's all this. And in, in a gosh, I want to be careful how I say this because, well, I'm, I'm just going to say it. Don't worry. Uh, the idea of real talk is not lost on me, friends. The show is named on purpose. Um, but, you know, it, it it's like you you take this idiotic talk and I'm not saying that freedom is idiotic and I'm not saying that liberty, the idea or concept of liberty, which is, is for the most part, I, I think 
you know, it's more of an American thing. I mean, it's 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 like how we're kind of like rip and reading, you know, like back in the old day, the newswire where the printer would be like, and they'd like run over and rip off the paper and be like, breaking news, see? Polio vaccine develops, say It's going to, you know, I mean, like that, you know, it's just not really, it's like we're ripping copy from the United States and like freedom and liberty. Can we please put a typewriter on your desk? Oh sure, I actually have a I have a, a collection of vintage typewriters. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I haven't brought them in here because I think it would kind of clog up the space. It's, it's a small space. Yeah, it's a small space, um, separated by plexiglass with appropriate distancing and air ventilation here. Uh, but uh, all this talk about freedom and liberty, uh, there you have it through our GoPro shot. Love that shot. Here's the Real Talk Studio in its inherent beauty. Earth Sky Art. Jay Bigham is the the painter, the visual artist that's, these are on loan, by the way, and these are always for sale. I should let you know. I mean, I would be devastated if somebody bought these because I've fallen in love with them. And Sam, maybe we need to just buy them. Um, yeah, we've, please don't buy them. Please don't we buy don't, them. We don't want them to leave our studio. But, also, but we do want to make Jay some money. I was going to say, please <laughs> don't buy them, but please do. And 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 if you do buy them, Jay's going to hook us up with new paintings. So, so that will be exciting. Uh, but all this talk about freedom and liberty, you know, like on, on our on our YouTube comment stream, you know, uh, Lord of Land is listening in, uh, says, you know, Premier wants to show us that he's standing up for our rights. Um, and I don't know if that's facetious or not. I don't know if that's sarcastic or not, but like standing up for our rights. Right. Because 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 that's the most important thing right now. That's the most important thing right now. We're looking to the Red Cross for field hospitals because our ICU capacity is almost at the max. Because doctors, uh, we're going to be talking uh, to Dr. Taysin Lada uh, coming up in, in about 10 minutes' time. They're, well, I'll let her tell you herself. Their doctors in Alberta are extremely concerned right now. They're burning out. They're getting sick. They're running at capacity. As Ontario's health minister, Christine Elliott, pointed out, Albertans are double-bunking ICU patients. We have a serious problem here. So if the leader of the province... The premier of the province believes that demonstrating that he's standing up for your freedom is the number one top priority. It might be time to gut check the leadership of the province. Let's get to a message from one of our sponsors here that makes sure that we're on the air each and every single day. I'm going to do a quick scan to figure out which one will mind the least that we're going up one side of the government and down the other. Uh, Let me go to the sponsor that reached out to me on day one of the show and says, no matter what you say, you will always have the unequivocal support of this sponsor. It's the team at Local Waste. They've been in the business for 25 years, 25 years experience going up against the big, faceless, multinational garbage corporations. This is uh, Local Waste Services, a company that's based out of Edmonton. It's an Alberta-based company hiring and employing Albertans, and they want your business so much so that they want to talk to you with their direct number, their first names on the spot. Chris and Lauren Labossier are waiting for your call right now at 780-242-9746. You can check out localwaste.ca, or you can link to them on our website under the sponsors link at uh, ryanjesperson.com. We're also really grateful to have the support right now of Westworld Computers. Can we get to that? beautiful GoPro shot again, Sam. You can see right now, Sam's got that big iMac on his desk. And and by the way, we got another rig coming. We're really excited about that. It'll allow us to ramp up our capacity here. 
I'm working on the MacBook Pro. We're checking your tweets on the iPad here, this big 13-inch screen, this beautiful iPad that I love. The team at Westworld's been in the game for 40 years, still family-owned, original ownership still. Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary, they've been bringing their customers what customers need most, and that's dependable service at Westworld Computers. Have you been keeping an eye? Have you been scanning the YouTube comment thread this morning? It's a lively one, I was noticing. Uh, a is. lot of people are chiming in. Was, was there anything that I'm putting you on the spot here, Sam? Was, was there anything in particular that jumped out at you on the comment thread in, in the course of our conversation about vaccinations? Is there anybody that's really... I'm, I mean, uh, Yeah, Justin Evans says, uh, vaccines are the single best advancement in human health care ever. Yeah. Most treatments we accept as being a chance at working. Chemo may work or may not, etc. But vaccines obliterate diseases. And that's, I mean, that's the herd immunity effect, right? Yeah. David, uh, listening in or watching this morning, rather, thanks, David, says we need to have everyone in Alberta take the vaccine to, to make sure that our healthcare heroes are protected. Uh, if you don't take the vaccine, you can't use public services. Now, I know that there's going to be some sort of, you know, bottom of the barrel type commentary on social media that's going to say, you know, if you know, if you and, and by the way, I'm going to say something that it potentially will be striking to some people. But trust me, you get idiotic comments like this on social media, right? Oh, you've got to prove that you have the vaccine if you want to ride the city bus. What's next? What's next? A yellow star on your what's next? Right. People will invoke, you know, the, the area of fascism or they'll talk about Nazi Germany or they'll talk. They'll, they'll, they'll make some comparison about, oh, you've got to prove you have the vaccine before you can access public well what you know maybe we need to have a serious conversation about that because like that viewer just pointed out it's not always just about you whether we're talking about vaccines whether we're talking about masks and again i don't have any problem if you don't want to wear a mask just stay home if you don't want to get the vaccination as far as i'm concerned you're not going to vaccinate your kids and not even just about covid19 bigger picture fine keep them out of schools I mean, I, I, I weep for your kids, but keep them out of schools. I think that it, it, it's not crazy to suggest that a society, that a community should have certain parameters where we say, if you want to be part of what we're doing here, you buy in to a certain degree and protect the health of other people. Real Talk RJ is the hashtag that we're constantly keeping an eye on. This is how you can get in touch with the show. I appreciate hearing from Devin Wu. Uh, Devin, a, a good friend of the show who, who's, I think, been watching every single morning. And it's been uh, Patrick Wu, rather, pardon me. I was, I'll get to Devin's comment in just a second. Patrick Wu, as I scroll down here, says, uh, uh, as a graphic designer, I 100% approve of the interpretation. Can I call for it again, Sam? Can, can you put up that message again? I really want this. I want every single time you see something, a message from a politician, if you didn't already. Now, Patrick Wu is a graphic designer, so he probably immediately is evaluating and studying things like this. But if you're not, I hope that this has been just like a bit of a wake-up call for you that we need to pay attention to how things are designed and how things are pushed out. So this is how you read this. One last time. Alberta will not make any vaccine mandatory, but we need as many Albertans as possible to get vaccinated. I will when it's my turn. I hope others will too. That's how you read that. And Patrick says, as a graphic designer, I 100% approve of the interpretation of this message's design. And he says also of Jesperson's surprisingly operatic voice. He says the design deliberately emphasized what they wanted people to read. Tracy, meantime, is streaming the audio for the show. She says, uh, I'm dying with your mandatory vaccine commentary. I'm running and I had to stop and recompose myself. She says, that's so accurate. Jeff is listening in. He says, our premier 
is a wingnut afraid of losing wingnuts votes. That from Jeff. Greg says, uh, Ryan, you ask us, can we imagine a world without a polio vaccine? Says, yeah, uh, yeah, I can. It's Alberta in 2021. <laughs> We're going to get to a, a public health professional, a pediatrician, uh, in just a moment who's going to join us, uh, Dr. Tayseen Latta. Uh, coming up at 10 o'clock, by the way, Dancing with the Stars champion Caitlin Bristow will join us. Easily the most celebrated Canadian in the world last week when she won that mirror ball. And you're going to go, is he seriously going to pivot from vaccines to Dancing with the Stars? Heck yeah, we are. We are. I'm going to talk about the show that went viral. Sorry, I couldn't help myself. You wanted to see if I could do the segue. I can do the segue. But this is a show that's going to talk about news, politics, and pop culture. Caitlin Bristow from Leduc, Alberta, originally winning Dancing with the Stars uh, Mirrorball Trophy, and she's going to join us around 10 o'clock. First, we want to give a big shout-out to the team at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. You know I've been telling you how much I'm loving this 2020 Jeep Grand Cherokee that I've been driving. It's got, I mean, here's the deal. It's got the capability that you expect when you see that Jeep brand, right? Where you go, if I, if I get like sort of my, you know, I'm out on the acreage and I'm, you know, like either going to be pulling a little trailer around as I trim some of these trees or, or maybe you're heading out up to the, I don't know, maybe you're lucky enough to be going snowboarding. You want to make sure you get to the mountains on the highway, but it was snowing all night. You're a little sketched out. You trust the Jeep brand, right? But also the the, the design inside, the way that it feels, the way that it looks, it's just, it's sexy, like, it's functional and very capable, but it's also just mwah, like chef's kiss. And the teams at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge have Alberta's best Jeep selection, and they want your business. Sam, let's take a quick look at the headlines uh, before we get to Dr. Taysin Lada, a pediatrician who's been kind enough to make some time for us this morning. Uh, wanted just to bring you up to speed on the numbers. If you didn't see them yesterday, as announced by Alberta's Premier Jason Kenney, Alberta now topping 17,000 active COVID cases, including, uh, and these were yesterday's numbers, uh, 1,685 new on Wednesday. That means 504 Albertans in hospital, 97 as of yesterday in the ICU, 10 more Albertans losing their lives for a total of 561 since the pandemic began. Meantime, Alberta unveiling yesterday afternoon its vaccine distribution strategy, which includes uh, measures uh, the government says it's contingency planning with no specific plan to activate them. In other words, we'll have them if we need them. Two from the Red Cross, two from Ottawa. Field tents uh, to be able to expand hospital and ICU capacity. Let's get to our next guest. Uh, she does a, a really phenomenal job, not just in uh, the course of her work as a pediatrician and, and as a, a public health uh, expert, uh, but also uh, the availability and the insight she provides by way of her Twitter account at Tayseen Lada. We're grateful to have Dr. Lada join us this morning. Welcome to Real Talk, and thank you for making time for us this morning. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Uh, doctor, you're, you're, uh, I mean, this is your everyday reality uh, as one of the uh, thousands of, of frontline medical professionals that right now are hard at work in Alberta. As you hear those numbers announced, and a week ago we were talking about 60-odd Albertans in ICU. Now we're talking about close to 100, and we know that cases continue to rise. What does that do to your train of thought? Honestly, it's just terrifying. And we knew this was coming. Uh, scientific experts, health professionals, concerned citizens, we've all been sounding the alarm for weeks and weeks and weeks. 
saying that if this trend continues, our hospitals will be overwhelmed. And they are, they're already overwhelmed. And now we're looking at field hospitals. And I know you mentioned that this was called a contingency plan, um, but obviously it's our reality. Uh, this is what we are going to need in order to accommodate all the patients that come through the door um, because we have so many COVID cases and they're just going up, up, up. And you know, 5% of these people need hospitalization. So like yesterday, when you have 1600 cases, there's gonna be about 40 of those at least 50 that need hospitalization. And where do you get 50 hospital beds a day? Well, you make a field tent for them um, in the middle of winter. Uh, and, that's, and that's just total, total negligence and willful inaction by our government. Because if we had instituted a lockdown a few weeks ago, we wouldn't be at this spot. So this is very reactive and not proactive. Can can you, and, and I know to a certain degree, it's it's frustrating for a lot of people. We, we talked to, uh, of particular interest last week, an entrepreneur, uh, she owns a, a deli and she owns a, a, a bar in Edmonton. Uh, Katie Ingram is her name. And, and it was, what's really interesting about Katie's perspective, if I boil it down, I, I hope I don't lose uh, the nuance of her position, but she's a hospitality owner that wants things shut down, which makes her perspective, I think, somewhat unique because it's not what you're hearing from a lot of bar and restaurant owners. And we got into the, the idea of whether or not it's too late and it's unacceptable. I, I know a medical professional would never say it's it's too late. I mean, even if we see someone with, with stage four cancer that just finds out, at least we find a way to, make, to provide some palliative care as an example. We never simply dismiss people because something is too late. As we look at this, we can say, Dr. Lada, well, here's what we should have done three weeks ago or two weeks ago what must we do now what should the announcement have been yesterday what should the announcement be today mm -hmm. absolutely so the announcement needs to be a lockdown and you know katie's a friend and she's actually part of our masks for canada advocacy group ah. um, and she's amazing and so we advocate for science-based covid policy that keeps Canadian safe, that keeps Albertans safe. Um, and so the science shows that when you lock down, what happens is cases start to rise, they, they, or they begin, they, they continue to rise for about 10 days, they peak, and then they fall off. So they start to decrease. And every day that you postpone a lockdown is more lives cost. And so there's actually some evidence that, for example, if you delay a lockdown by five days, you're gonna lose double the number of people to COVID-19. Now that is an impactful statistic. So, you know, we needed a lockdown yesterday, but today would be good too, because the sooner we do it, the sooner we save some lives. And, you know, we are going to get to the point where we're going to need extra beds. I mean, they're already doubling up ICU beds in one room. Uh, you've heard about the oxygen capacity issues, distributing oxygen to patients, which is just, mind-blowing. I mean, we live in a developed country. To not be able to access health care when that's one of our constitutional rights, I mean, healthcare access seems to me a bit more important than the right to be able to gamble in a public casino, right? Uh, these are the things that sort of go through our minds when we're looking at this.
Doctor, how, have you? Uh, I'm scrolling through my Twitter right, and my my Twitter is just an absolute gong show these days in the best way. So I, I might have a hard time finding it, but but I guess what I'll do is I'll try to reference this off the top of my head, and obviously you can bail me out here with some more details. But but you reference what is what is basically an oxygen ration. Uh, in the province right now, it, it was by way of an Alberta Health Services release that was made public. I, I tweeted it a few days ago, but but how? Uh, I mean, is this unprecedented? How remarkable is this? Uh, have you seen this before? So I personally, I've worked in Alberta for several several years. I did my training in Alberta before that. Most of my university. I have never seen a memo like this, and so I was quite shocked when we were told. This happens quite regularly. I've spoken to colleagues, physicians, nurses who have worked here for decades. We've, they have never seen a memo like this. So this is unprecedented. And the memo says that the oxygen system um, is having difficulty with the capacity of oxygen it's needing to deliver to the patient. So basically there's too high a demand for our system. I mean, the memo also says that this will be rectified by June of 2021. Now, that is way too late, obviously, um, but it also signals that this was known about, this, this capacity issue was known about. So if we know there's an oxygen capacity issue and we know that there's COVID-19 where patients need oxygen, why aren't we doing more to prevent these patients from getting COVID and needing hospitalization? Uh, it's just again, such a lack of foresight and willful inaction that's causing real harm to Albertans. Doctor, what what would uh, the implementation or the introduction of field hospitals look like? I mean, let me first of all recognize you're not part of, as far as I know, the contingency planning committee. You're not the one designing this plan. But just if, if I ask you to, to from, from a, a knowledge base like yours, uh, I'm assuming that the most vulnerable, most delicate patients, the ones whose lives are literally hanging in the balance, would not be the ones in the tents. Um, how would this play out, but how would this impact a hospital? I mean, I'm even trying to wrap my mind around um, people, you know, we're, we're sort of double bump bunking people in ICU. Um, for the average person that's not an ICU doc or that doesn't make rounds in hospitals, maybe even we don't totally realize how crazy that is, but Ontario's health minister specifically referenced Alberta double bunking ICU patients in the Ontario legislature yesterday. Can you paint a picture for us of, of what healthcare delivery might look like with doubled up ICUs and field tents in play, field hospitals? Mm -hmm. So in an ICU room, you need enough space to be able to put all the equipment in. So these patients are on ventilators. You know, they have a tube down their throat. They have IV lines, multiple IV lines, or lines going into their neck um, that give them blood, that give them fluids, that give them life-sustaining medications. You need room so that if that patient's heart stops, all the personnel, all the medical personnel can go in and do CPR, they can resuscitate, they can get them back. Or if they, you know, even if their heart doesn't stop, but they take a turn for the worse, the people can get in there and save them. Now, when you put two people in an ICU room, there's so little space for people to go in and out. And if something happens, uh, how are you going to resuscitate that patient? How are you going to give them the best care? So really this is about standard of care. Right now, one in four COVID patients die in the ICU. When you start double bunking in the ICU, when you start having field hospitals, this number is going to go way, way up. And you know, 
reconciling the care of patients with, you know, in, in double bunked ICU rooms is one thing, but then thinking about field hospitals in an in an Alberta winter. Um, and I've heard of some of the contingency planning around this and it is terrifying. So there are nurses right now that are prepping to take care of four, eight, 16 COVID patients at once because we've asked for field hospitals, our province has asked for field hospitals, but has not asked for increased staff. So what does that mean? That means we have the same number of nurses and the same number of doctors looking after a huge number of patients. And the nurses, emergency room nurses right now are going through planning such as, if we have to look after eight or 16 COVID patients by ourselves, what are we going to omit? So they're actually looking at, are we going to stop feeding them? Are we going to stop giving them pain control? So this is not, I mean, people are going to die but they're going to suffer. They're not going to die with dignity. And, you know, this is just, it's horrifying. The, the contingency planning is just horrifying. And, and the doctor, I, we're talking to Dr. Tasting Lada, by the way. I want, to, I want to be clear about something. You're not, you're not sort of making up ideas on what might happen or conversations that could potentially happen theoretically if all hell broke loose. You're talking about contingency planning that is happening right now. In other words, these conversations are happening right now in Alberta. Yes, absolutely. They're happening right now. And the other thing that's happening is they're talking to all of us physicians, pediatricians, surgeons, uh, about looking after COVID patients. And that is not our expertise. So there's a whole redeploy redeployment plan for this. There's actually several pediatricians in the province that are starting pediatric ICU specialists that are starting to work in the adult ICU already. Um, they have already started to do that. So this is not even uh, planning. This is happening. Doctor, um, so, can I keep yeah, you for, I, I want to make sure that I respect your time here. Can I, can I keep you for like five more minutes? Can you give us five more minutes? Absolutely. Okay. Because yeah, I, because, absolutely. because what you're touching on here, I think is really important to recognize and we're receiving messages from people right now. Um, you've just uh, struck a nerve with people that are, that are saying, Oh my gosh, this is the same thing. One, one uh, viewer right now is saying my girlfriend's been a nurse for like 20 years, but she's not an ICU nurse. And she's being asked right now to be able to provide that level of service. She says, but it's not, just a hop, skip, and a jump to competence over there. And from a physician standpoint as well. So, so help us understand why this is such a, a, a big deal. Well, imagine, so let's take the pediatrics example. Uh, imagine that you're a pediatrician and you've trained, our, our whole training is just on kids. And then suddenly you're asked to take care of adults who have completely different problems, uh, completely different bodies and systems and um, completely different medications that we barely hear about. Um, what kind of care will you be able to give? I mean, we'll study, we'll read books, and we'll practice medicine that way, but that's not going to be the best care. I mean, that's not even going to be medium care. It's going to be really low standard care that we're doing in desperation uh, because our province is not taking care of us. Uh, Curtis is watching us uh, live streaming this morning. He says vaccines. Uh, well, by the way, let me read his full comment here. He says our leaders uh, prior to the compound crises, uh, the oil crash, the pandemic, the economic crash, the fallout of that triple whammy, 
uh, were glorified social media influencers. He says the rights being flouted here are just one component of this so-called freedom. Uh, the other major component is responsibility. Curtis says we're not hearing any talk of responsibility because maybe it's lost on the leaders. Vaccines, he says, especially with the advances of mRNA technologies, are one of the most amazing scientific discoveries in multiple lifetimes. Uh, Dr. Lada has mentioned you're, you're a, a pediatrician uh, by training, by trade, by professional experience, obviously a ton of experience dealing with young people. And there is, uh, I, I think right now, obviously significant discussion around vaccines. I don't know if I want to perpetuate vaccine he hesitance by saying that it's significant, but, but the fact of the matter is about four in 10 Canadians right now are saying that they have serious hesitations around taking a vaccine when it becomes available. What's your message to the Canadians watching this this morning? And in particular, if you wouldn't mind, a focus on parents with kids. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, we, we deal with this a lot in pediatrics where there are, are parents that will come in and will say, you know, we're worried that this vaccine will cause this side effect and we've heard that it will do this. And we always go back to the science. And of course, we, we want to acknowledge and totally understand that there are concerns. I mean, this is a new vaccine. To most people, it's been rolled out very quickly. Uh, and the questions are, how could they possibly have done the testing necessary in this time uh, to know that it's safe? And the answer to that is that there have been no financial barriers. So with most vaccines, uh, there are issues with getting enough funding to be able to test. But billions and billions of dollars have been thrown at uh, developing this vaccine. And it has gone, undergone just as rigorous testing as all the other vaccines have. And, you know, that makes me feel really reassured. And I think when you see all of us health workers rolling up our sleeves to get it, um, that will hopefully reassure the public as well that uh, this is important, this is safe, and it's much safer to get the vaccine than it is to get COVID-19. Oh, no kidding. I'm so glad you said that. That's what we call the poll quote uh, right there. Dr. Taysin Lada, pediatrician, uh, an expert in public health, and obviously uh, an incredible ambassador of those that are continuing to provide world-class health care here in the province of Alberta. Thank you for your availability this morning. We want to make sure that you're able to get to your rounds, to get to your patients, to get to the people that need to see you. So thank you for joining us here on the show. Thanks, Ryan. Appreciate it. We're so grateful to have uh, Dr. Lada there. What a, what a great perspective check as well. Hey, uh, you know, it's it's more safe to get the vaccine than it is to get COVID-19. What a great point. I want to pause quickly to recognize uh, the partners that make sure that we're coming to you live every single morning here, staying on the air. And that includes the amazing team, Alberta-wide at Friesen Brothers. This is not your average grocery store. Far from it. Friesen Brothers is getting set to open their 15th store in South Edmonton. You'll find them in Fort Saskatchewan. You'll find them in Stony Plain. You'll find them in Hinton. That's our family stop every time before we head out to the Rocky Mountains. Before we hit Jasper, we hit Friesen Brothers in Hinton. We get those uh, sourdough cinnamon buns. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Just throwing it out there. And then the beef short ribs. We heard from Kathy, a listener yesterday, who told us that she was grateful that she heard about the beef short ribs at Friesen Brothers because she's been trying to get her dad to eat. She says he hasn't had much of an appetite lately. She says, I brought over those short ribs from Friesen Brothers. She says he took down the whole thing. She was grateful for that. Friesen Brothers is Alberta grown and Alberta owned in soon to be 15 Alberta communities. We're also grateful for the support of the team at Park Power. 
Part power is powering the Real Talk RJ hashtag. Your friendly local utilities provider offering internet, electricity, and natural gas in Alberta. If you want to move away from the large, traditional, incumbent utility companies, you want to go with one that employs people in their call center right here in Alberta, that employs people in their billing and customer service operations right here in Alberta, and that profit shares with Alberta nonprofits, check out Park Power, and you can find the link to Park Power on our website under the sponsors link at ryanjesperson.com. Speaking of the hashtag, we want to check it out. If you want to get in touch with the show, of course, you can always uh, chime in with the live commentary that runs as part of our YouTube stream. You can subscribe to the Real Talk, the Ryan Jesperson YouTube channel, and then you can also, of course, hit us up on Twitter with the hashtag uh, Real Talk. RJ and we appreciate those of you that are tuning in right now Natasha uh, hey if you know politics and especially conservative politics in Alberta and and especially young smart conservative commentators Natasha Kornak you know her name I'm thrilled to hear that she's listening this morning she says I'm so upset with the state of our COVID response Uh, Natasha says hearing uh, that physicians have to go to work in areas that aren't their own and sacrifice other areas of patient care is totally terrifying um that i mean i you know i find myself and and sam i don't know how you're feeling about this but but i there's an obligation i think with a show like this where we know by by the time that today is said and done and our and our live video stream is done and our live audio stream is done and the podcasts have been downloaded it's going to be tens of thousands of people that have been checking out this show and the last thing that i want to do is induce panic Uh, If the situation does not call for it. But here's what is striking me. The medical professionals, the doctors, the people on the front lines, the people in the ICUs and emergency rooms, those that are following the trends, not because they're armchair quarterbacks like us, but because they're actually helping people who are on this side of alive and fighting to stay there. They all seem to be indicating to us uh, the same Impression. They all seem to be sending the same message to us, and that is ringing the alarm. And I feel like it's the duty of this show to do the exact same thing. Are you getting that same impression from who we're talking to? Yeah, and I think, um, you know, extending it a little bit beyond medical professionals, but just sort of going in, in general. I, went, I, I can't remember who said it, but I read a tweet the other day that said, uh, you know, I'm a restaurateur. Um, e- the... The lockdown is not killing us. It's the virus. Like, just full stop. People are scared to go to places, even at a 50% capacity. It's not profitable to run a business right now. It's not doing that. And, and you know, so we have a government that toes the line of economy over public health. I think that that is the very, 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 very clear message that they have been sending right now. And even the people that want the economy to be open and want to be making money right now are recognizing that the doctors are right, the virus is what's killing us, and, you know, we need to put aside our our petty grievances with the federal government and stop making everything about money because Alberta will be far worse off if we don't address this crisis. We know that. When I, and I think that, I mean, and this is not a profound statement, but a healthy economy requires a healthy population. And if, if it's you're kind of a no brainer, well, you'd think. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's not to say, listen, we, we're, we're talking to business owners. We have talked to business owners. The show is only a week and a half old. 
uh, but we will continue to cover stories of people, uh, maybe including you right now, that are fighting to keep their, their, their head above water with regards to their business. And this is, this is not some sort of a light chit-chat. We recognize uh, the gravity of your circumstance. I mean, we recognize that people are concerned they're going to lose their business, lose their life savings, lose their homes. This is all very real. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, right now, there are warning signs. There is evidence all across the province and quite frankly, across Canada. I mean, it's not like it's smooth sailing right now in Ontario and Quebec and Manitoba. I mean, there have, everyone is experiencing issues here with this so-called second wave of COVID-19. We recognize that there needs to be a healthy population and a healthy economy. But right now, if every health expert that we talk to is telling us that what needs to happen is a lockdown, in my opinion, political leadership starts to steer toward A, what does the lockdown look like? What does it uh, mean for everyday people? How long does it last? How do we communicate why it's important? And then what supports do we provide for people, right? By way of cooperation with the federal government, by way of working with municipalities in whichever way might be necessary, and by way of demonstrating leadership. Uh, the, 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 the bottom line right now for budgets it's, is so blown out of the water uh, no one is suggesting that there's an endless money pit. No one is suggesting that we need to throw all fiscal prudence out the window. But now is not the time to pinch pennies when it comes to helping people that are desperate. The person that's making $15 an hour, Alberta's minimum wage, uh, to show up maybe even if they're feeling a little bit sick because the fast food restaurant needs them and because, quite frankly, they need the paycheck because they don't have income supports. This is not an ideal circumstance for Albertans. It's not the ideal circumstance for that worker. It's not ideal for that employer. It's not ideal for people, generally speaking, that will see more and more members of the population sick and ultimately die. That's not a dramatic interpretation. That's the facts, right? It's interesting to hear from Lorne here, who's watching our YouTube live stream. He says that description of an ICU room, he says, brings back memories of when my wife was in ICU. There's no way that two beds can appropriately fit in there. And he says, and what about a designated loved one at their side? Yeah, I mean, forget about that, right, Lorne? Sue is watching. She says, I can't imagine the stress of being an ICU nurse or a doctor knowing what's coming. Like, how on earth are they going to cope with this level of trauma? Sue, I, I, I agree with you, and you can almost sort of, I mean, the, the doctors that have been on the show, uh, I mean, Shazma Mathani was, was amazing on the show. Darren Markland was amazing. The ICU doc out of the Royal Alexander Hospital, you, there, there's bravery in their eyes. And there's that sort of stiff upper lip, you know, that we've heard about, that, that, that reference that we've invoked, you know, for decades and decades out of the U.K., they're proud to do what they do, and they're committed to do what they do, but you can tell there is trepidation. You can tell that they are bracing themselves. It's obvious. More and more of you are chiming in, and we want to get to as many comments as we can on this. You know, uh, a listener here says, I appreciate, uh, this is Greg, that you're giving doctors a voice on the show. He says, we need more of this. He says, they know what's going on, and they're the ones that give us the facts. Uh, first of all, Greg, thank you for tuning in. We appreciate you watching the show and, of course, chiming in and commenting uh, who else would you, I mean, who would you rather hear from in a pandemic? Who would you rather hear from the doctors and the scientists or politicians? I mean, it's important to hear from politicians because they're the ones setting policy and they need to be held accountable. But I'd rather be asking questions of somebody who has, doesn't have a political agenda. And, and like we talked about with Dr. Hakeek Varani and Dr. Elaine Hishka the other day, and you can uh, find that if you subscribe to our podcast, you can uh, probably, you'll probably have that interview on your phone already. 
when they're talking about public health uh, and public trust, and they said, you don't want to find yourself. It's a piece they wrote in the Hill Times, if you want to look it up. And they said, the last thing you want is a politician weighing, I mean, you know, behind closed doors or in the quietness of their own thoughts, weighing a population's health versus their political health. In other words, what's going to get me reelected or what's popular with my base or what are my donors and powerful people expecting from me, right? The population needs to hold our leadership accountable. We are literally just a few minutes away from welcoming to the program uh, the champion, the mirror ball winner of Dancing with the Stars. She has been the star as well of The Bachelorette and, uh, of course, is doing a ton now with her podcast. She's got a wine brand. She's got scrunchies. Her entrepreneurial ventures are exploding. And it all started in her early years in Leduc. Alberta. Caitlin Bristow is going to join us in just a few moments, but we wouldn't be on the air without the support of our partners. And that's why we want to recognize them right now, including the team at Alta Storage. Alta Storage is proud, locally owned and locally operating to be your one-stop shop for all your moving needs. You got a big move coming up. They got you covered. It's a small move coming up, but you want someone to handle it. They've got you covered. All right. Residential, commercial. Here's the thing. They don't want you to feel rushed. They want your moving experience to be positive. So they have these, you know, these these big sort of boxes, you know, the, the pod style containers where they drop them off. You fill the pod and then they can move that with the trucks. They've got movers that can help you fill that pod container or you can do it yourself if you prefer. And they've also got those eco-friendly frog boxes and moving supplies If you're considering a move or if you're looking to put something into storage, Alta Storage has you covered. And you can learn more by following the sponsor link at ryanjesperson.com. We're also grateful to have the team at Clean Air Club looking after us here. Not just in our studio. If we go to this shot that we just adore right now. Uh, you, you get You're to a see. little obsessed with I, that shot. I, well, it's like I mean, it's a great room to show off. I agree with you because I'm because here's the thing. And then once we get once we get a couple things cleaned up in here, you know, we could probably stand to get a couple more plants in here. You know, I think I I, I would uh, I I would I would do the show from the mutart if we could. Oh man, well you know what we could do is to, we could do the show from that beautiful plant wall. Down in Government House at the Alberta, Le- you know that beautiful plant wall that us Albertans. I, th- I are think so- you mean um, uh, the federal building. Uh, uh, the, at the federal building. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. The, yeah. That beautiful plant. That that's still there, right, Sam? Oh. <sighs> oh. I, I, I it was in a dumpster last week. Maybe we can go grab it. <laughs> you know what? There's nothing funny about it. Um, as a matter of fact, we laugh so we don't cry. Uh, but maybe maybe some plants in here. Maybe maybe all Albertans. Maybe we could add two or three more plants to our living spaces and. And sort of restore the plant capacity of Alberta right now as, as, as these plants clean up our air. But in all seriousness, we're not just leaving it to plants here. Turning into another three-minute ad. <laughs> this is turning into a three-minute ad. By the way, Mark at Dairy Queen got back to us. He said we can take tomorrow off. He liked he liked the four-minute commercial today. <laughs> Let me get to Clean Air Club. Uh, the reason I wanted the big shot here was to, sh- to show our friends that are tuning in. Can you point to it, Sam? We got this big, beautiful air purification unit in here. Now, this is not the bread and butter of what Clean Air Club does, but when we when we tasked them with ensuring that we had proper air circulation in here, they helped us out. Their real bread and butter is furnace filters. And if you're like me, you barely pay attention to it. I buy like the three or four pack at Home Depot. And then every once in a while, kind of like the Brita water filter, you go, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to change it. 
Well, Clean Air Club's got you covered because you know you should have fr- uh, frequency there. It should be planned out. And who has the time to do all that? Check out cleanairclub.ca because they do. They'll keep an eye on uh, what you need with regards to the, the exact size, the uh, the quarterly replacement. They deliver it right to your door along with a special gift for all their clients. Uh, so check out cleanairclub.ca. Are we ready to rock uh, with our superstar celebrity guest this morning? We're, we're standing by right now. We're very we're, excited. We're standing by. Okay. We don't have her on the line okay. yet, she but would, we're just waiting she'd, here. She'd be a little bit early if she showed up now. So so we'll get to that in just a second. And, and I'm excited to ask Caitlin Bristow. I don't know if you follow her on Instagram like I do, but last night uh, she was with some girlfriends and um, <laughs> she was with some girlfriends and she was also with her, her boyfriend, Jason. And they were doing they were having a uh, um, they were doing like a cocktail competition uh, down in Nashville, like like a, a private one, a closed one, a small one. And um, and I and I'm wondering how that worked out for her this morning. I, I'm going to ask how that worked out for her this morning because I, I've been in that position a couple times. I've I've done that uh, showing up as a judge for a cocktail contest back in the day and um, and having an early obligation the next morning. Uh, it can be difficult. So we appreciate her making the time to talk to us today, and we're very much looking forward to that conversation. There's a lot to ask her about. I mean, she has really built an incredible empire, uh, so to speak, from relatively humble beginnings, and I'm curious to pick her brain on the secret of that. Plus, I know that many of you uh, will have questions for Caitlin Bristow when she joins us uh, in just a little bit. Uh, I love this from Peter. Uh, Peter's watching the show out of Wainwright, Alberta this morning, and he says, Welcome to Real Talk with Ryan. Jesperson, the home of the three-minute impromptu advertisement. He says, I love it, plus nobody can give you shit for it. Keep it up, boys. Uh, Peter, the beautiful thing is nobody can really give a shit for anything on this show, and uh, it's really blowing our minds as we find our freedoms. Uh, a few people, uh, friends of the show, chimed in to say, we thought you'd be a little a little more sort of guns blazing out of the gates, and, 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 I, and I responded to them with a smile, and I said, you know, you've got to get me time to to kind of break the mold that has surrounded, formed, and shaped me for the past 15 years. But you're right, Peter. A three-minute ad read, I hope, conveys how important our relationships are to our sponsors and to our partners, to the builders uh, that we talk about here on the show. Uh, before we get to Caitlin Bristow, uh, Bristow and uh, Samuel, we do have her. Okay, well, why don't we just go ahead and, and give her the, the warmest welcome. We're absolutely thrilled that she's making time for us today. Uh, to fans of Dancing with the Stars, one of the biggest programs in the world to fans of the bachelorette and the bachelor to bachelor nation she needs no introduction easily the highest profile canadian in the world last week when she finally hoisted the mirror ball trophy as champion ladies and gentlemen the pride of leduc alberta caitlin bristow welcome to real talk and thank you for making time for us Oh my gosh, of course. Thank you for having me. That was quite the intro. I'll take it. Well, hey, I'm dialing the intro back. Uh, we're really excited to have you here. Uh, we were watching uh, w- w- with great enthusiasm your Insta story last night. My wife and I both follow you on Instagram, and I and I saw that you were, you were, you were putting a few cocktails uh, in, in front of your man and, and having him do this cocktail judging, and I was wondering, because I knew we're, we're talking to you the next morning, we're talking to you this morning, and I thought, I, I wonder what potential this has to go totally sideways, this cocktail gathering. <laughs> No, I I actually didn't even drink my own cocktail that I made. I made Jason drink it, and uh, 
I ended up going to bed early because I had a spin class this morning. You had a spin class this morning. Well, well, good on you. It's it, it probably, I would imagine, uh, the work never stops and your schedule's got to be absolutely insane. How does it feel? How did it feel to get back home to Nashville after, what was it? It was 11 or 12 weeks in a COVID era. What a wild ride with Dancing with the Stars. Yeah, it was wild. It was obviously such a unique season and all the pros were talking about how different it was and I'm like well I have nothing to compare it to so this is this is great for me I'm just happy to be here but yeah it was I was there since August 20th and I came home um, around November 28th so it was a long time in a COVID bubble Um, I keep joking like I'm not I'm not used to waking up in the morning and not having to swab my nose every day Uh, but being home and just sleeping in my own bed and having the dogs have their backyard and everything has just felt like Oh, I'm home. It feels so good. Did you bring your dogs with you? I did. Yeah. I can't even spend like a day away from them. So we brought them out to LA. They were there the whole time. So Caitlin, what was, first of all, Sam, can you load up the, I want to, I want to get the video here uh, of Chris Harrison, who obviously you would have a tight relationship with Caitlin, uh, uh, um, yeah. making what was a very special announcement uh, to you. And, and I want to get to the backstory on this uh, in just a moment, but, but I want to share with our viewers and, and our listening audience this morning, the moment that you found out that you were going to be able to pursue this dream, Sam, let's roll it. It is about to change. What? And I'm not joking. Do you know about that? Mm-hmm. I just got goosebumps. Caitlin, will you be on the next season of Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> I'm dead serious. Okay, play it cool, Caitlin, play it cool. Are you serious? <laughs> Is that a yes? Because I need a yes or no. <laughs> yes! Yes, yes, yes. Oh my God, I am so honored to say yes. Well, then congratulations. You will be on Dancing with the Stars. So, Caitlin, this is obviously, I mean, my my face hurts from smiling as I watch that. Um, for the, the backstory here that some people might not know, you, you had been stifled. You had been shut down for literally years. This was something you'd wanted to do for a yeah. long time. Yeah, it was. Yeah, about five years ago, I came off um, The Bachelorette. And here comes my dog. And um, they, I I mean, they offered, Dancing with the Stars offered me a contract to be on the show. And just contract stuff was crossing over. They wouldn't let me do it. And it was devastating because I was supposed to be announced on Good Morning America. I was actually supposed to be Artem's partner. And it all just like came crashing down and didn't happen. I'm so sorry. This dog is being crazy. We right are now. so we're um, so dog friendly on this show. We we want to meet oh, all the good, dogs. Good. Who is who is this? Um, this is Pino. He uh, he. Jason just let him in the room, and he gets very excited to see me after five minutes of not seeing me. So that's cute. <laughs> oh, what is a beautiful um, pup? Gold, uh, is that that's a golden retriever? Yeah. Yeah, he's a golden retriever. He's so funny. Um, I totally lost my train of thought because of him. What were we talking about? Well, we were just talking about the fact that basically you five years ago, I mean, you'd always dreamed of being on Dancing with the Stars and and you were you were basically blacklisted or you you were you were basically I I can't can't, I can say cock blocked, but that's not not appropriate at all. But Ah! but but you you were cock blocked. Yeah, (laughs) totally was. That's a good way to put it. I like it. I was. And so that was I always kind of had that dream in the back of my head that maybe one day I could still go on it 
Um, and I remember Jason telling me like, Caitlin, I love your passion and enthusiasm, but like, it's probably never going to happen. So when Chris told me that I was just in pure shock and it was, it just felt so surreal. And then being there the whole time didn't feel real. And now being home and, oh, sorry, dogs again, um, being home and looking at the mirror ball every day, I'm like, oh my gosh, I did it. So this is, I mean, we're, we're seeing right now some of uh, your incredible uh, performance. Um, this right around the time when you started to just take perfect tens across the board. Uh, my sister, uh, Caitlin, is a, is a counseling psychologist, and she often talks to me about manifesting destiny. That's a big thing that she yes. really believes in. My understanding is that you actually had a photo of that mirror ball trophy, the one that's in your house right now. You had a photo up in your house for like years. Can you talk to us about manifestation? Yeah, I am a very big believer in that. In fact, um, when I was about 22 years old, I wrote out pages and pages of what I wanted to see myself do in life. And one was be on TV. Um, another one was to have my own radio show. Another one was to have two golden retrievers. Um, another one was something to do with dancing. Like all these ones I look back on and I'm like, okay, I, I had those on my mirror every day and I somehow made all of those things happen. And I just believe in that the power of, of positivity, putting something out there into the world, really believing in it and, and making it happen because I, I, I'm looking at it right now, this picture in my mirror of the mirror ball, I printed out a picture and I would sit here and I would imagine what it felt like what it smelled like. I put myself, I'd feel confetti coming down on my head. I would like really put myself in that position of winning and not that you can just do that and things fall into your lap. You know, you have to obviously put in the work as well, but um, I'm just such a believer in putting things out into the universe and, and making dreams happen. Uh, Caitlin Bristow, our guest, we've got, we've got a ton of people right now that are either uh, watching this live on YouTube or they're listening to the audio stream and they're, and they're chiming in on our Twitter hashtag. And, and so many people, Caitlin, have questions about, about your roots and your beginnings as an Alberta girl growing up in Leduc before you moved to BC and ultimately mm -hmm. down to the United States. You, you talk about, you know, these big dreams and, 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 and I want to be clear, many people have, have, have grown up here in Alberta and have gone on to achieve incredible careers in the United States. I mean, one that I watch with fascination right now in action is, is actor Nathan Fillion out of Edmonton who did so much here in the local scene and is, and is now doing incredible work. You're another example and, and people look at you now and you've got a wine label and you've got a business and a really popular podcast. You have starred on The Bachelorette. You've got two million Instagram followers. You look, you look back to those, if I can say humble beginnings, if, if for no other reason than simply the geography Right. Leduc, Alberta. I mean, if, if people look for Leduc, Alberta on a map, it's right up by the North Pole. How do you process uh, the growth of your career, uh, the growth of your brand? And if I can say the growth of your celebrity. Yeah, it's I mean, I always laugh when people say that I don't feel like a celebrity. I'm like, I don't know how it, it really happened so quickly, too. Like it wasn't like, you know, as a young kid, I wasn't like, OK, I'm going to um, you know, grow a brand and I'm going to be on TV. And I, I mean, I had those dreams when I was older, but it wasn't something I thought of as a young kid growing up in Leduc. I always wanted to be a dancer, to be honest with you. And so I think about like where I came from and I think it, it comes from, I'm, I'm kind of a risk taker and I like to do things that make me step out of my comfort zone 
And, you know, I moved so many different times in my life. I lived in Newfoundland. I lived in Germany. I lived in Vancouver. I kind of just like bopped around everywhere and kind of took chances wherever I went. And I just think at one point in my life, I remember working at a restaurant and I was like, I just have this feeling that, that I have to do something more in life. And I loved working at the restaurant, but I just had this feeling and I kept again, manifesting and writing things down. And I got a call from ABC saying, would you like to be on the next season of the bachelor? And I remember not even being surprised. I was like, Whoa, I was like, yeah, this, this timing's right. Here we go. And so I thought about, you know, everything I've learned from growing up and from who I was surrounded with in my family about being authentic and true to yourself and how much that means um, to me as a person. And I really wanted to continue that on with TV. I wanted to go on to The Bachelor and have people like me or hate me, whatever. I wanted to stay true to myself and, and build something from that because I think when you want to build something or a brand or a business or anything, you have to get people to trust you and believe in what you're selling or what you're doing. And by doing, by being yourself, that's the only way to really do that. So I think that's how I grew everything and just stayed on track. I had so many opportunities when I came off the show to, you know, promote products and, and get paid for them, things that I would never use, but the money was great. And I turned down so much money and things just to, just to kind of stay true and build something on my own. And and I'm really proud of myself for doing that. I want to talk to you about what you are building, um, but I'd, I'd be really curious to hear about something that was a non-starter. You don't have to name the brand, but what was one of the pitches that you received a product to endorse that you just went, hell no. Um, one was like a flat tummy tea that made you poop. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You, and, you didn't want to be known uh, for that, hey? <laughs> It was like a diet tea that you drink that made you poop, that made your tummy flat. And I was like, ah, that sounds dangerous. Um, And then what, you know, another one was, was um, a waist trainer. So at the time I never, I like, I would do um, like, you know, I'd go do a spin class or something, but I wasn't really into weights. And I remember this thing tying around my waist and my girlfriend who actually used to work for Scooter Braun and Justin Bieber she looked at me and she goes if you promote that you're you're ruining everything that you want to work for and I was like okay fair enough fair enough <laughs> so how do you because you're you're seeing uh first of all you're you're off the vine podcast is uh and and Caitlin I know that we've never actually spoken before I don't know if you know about my journey at all but I've this is a brand new we're in the second week of doing this new show but I've got 15 years in traditional media but I'll tell you I've never been yes. more excited than what we're doing now and to be podcasting this show you told us that you grew up with dreams of having your own radio show now you've got off the vine with Caitlin Bristow basically you do uh the only thing is you've <laughs> you've eliminated uh the, the the geographical location that would come with it with a traditional radio broadcast in other words people can listen to your show from anywhere in the world how does it feel to be launching that project to be in the podcast game that was that's something I'm like I'm really proud of because it was it was um what about three years ago I did that and it was just such an interesting space for me to get into at the time because I wasn't really sure what podcasting was even all about I honestly if I'm being completely honest I I didn't listen to podcasts and I was like but this seems like something I would really love to do I get I can sit in my sweatpants I can drink wine I can have real conversation with with guests and that's just always something I would I wanted to do so it was 
kind of the perfect opportunity when I when I went with podcast one to it, like you said, start my own radio show that is now what they call a podcast. It's so much fun. I'm glad you're doing it because I kind of heard you earlier say you have limitations and stuff with radio and you're kind of following these rules that you have to follow. And in a podcast, you get to really just be yourself and have fun with it. And and I think that's why people like listening to podcasts is because you're just having genuine conversation with somebody. Yeah. And we're like f- from our angle, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm still kind of slowly figuring out cause, cause I'm, I'm still used to, you know, like a buddy of mine says to me the other day, he's like, why aren't you wearing hoodies? He's like, what are you doing wearing suit jackets? You know, why are you wearing suit jackets every single day? And like, why is your coffee black and not the color of Bailey's? You know what I mean? And like, you know, why aren't you why aren't you hitting your vape pen every 30 seconds? Uh, but uh, but right. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of like slowly making this adjustment, slowly making this transition. I love with, with yours. Yeah. Um, I, I love how real you are. I mean, on one hand, you talk about like, you know, you didn't want to do the uh, the endorsement about the flat tummy tea that makes you poop. But then also you're talking and you're going public to millions of people talking about how I think it was one of the challenges that you faced on a Dancing with the Stars rehearsal was that you were holding in a toot the whole time. I mean, <laughs> right? Like you told millions of people that. You don't. it doesn't matter. You're keeping it real. You know what? Why am I not getting paid for flat tummy tea that it makes, makes perfect That sense. should be an endorsement on the podcast. Yeah, what well, I, I mean, doing? the only problem is that if you were drinking that tea, you might not have been able to hold in the poop and it could have been a total disaster on set, so... <laughs> I don't know. Very I, fair. I digress. So how does what? So you get into uh, Spade and Sparrows is your wine brand. And by the way, I just just some market research for you. I know your very good friend, your dear friend Bree, dropped everything to get to Wine and Beyond when she heard that they had received a new shipment of Spade and Sparrows. We haven't been able to find it, which is awesome for you to a certain degree because it shows that demand is huge. Uh, you you don't just yes. though with you, you don't just kind of get into I would imagine a pretty competitive market like wine without having a real clear direction without having strong branding how excited are you to be into this and and how much of a stretch is that for you i imagine you've either got to be getting great advice from people or you've got to learn pretty quickly on the fly oh my gosh it's been i've learned so much in the last two years about this industry it is so tough um i think i was used to you know like a brand reaching out and you kind of just you know post and and know the brand and believe in it and post and this was so much more than that there's so much that goes into the marketing there's so much um legal stuff with shipping and and everything in different states has different rules for everything and getting it into canada the production the everything that goes into it is so much work um and having to prove yourself in that industry has been really challenging and even just getting it into canada i was so proud because Obviously, that's where I come from. That's where I wanted the wine to be. But again, just everything that goes into it, the production is is crazy. And I, like I said earlier, I was in the restaurant industry and I used to love taking um, the wine courses from the sommeliers that would come into the restaurants to get us to really know about the wine, be educated on it, to be able to sell it at the restaurants and pair it with foods. And I was always so invested in Um, doing these courses and learning. And then I became a manager at the restaurant. And so then I was having to give people knowledge about the wines and really know about the background of them. And I just started getting really into it. And when I went on the bachelor and bachelorette, everyone kind of joked that it was my accessory. I always had a glass of wine in my hand and it was just something that I've always really enjoyed. 
So coming out of it and getting into the podcast and my podcast being called Off the Vine, where I drink wine and have conversations, it felt like kind of a natural transition to start my own wine label and not knowing how much work was going to be put into it. But again, it's it's something I'm so proud of because of how much work is put into it. And I have an awesome team, small team, but an awesome one that helps me with everything. So it's been it's been a huge learning experience for me. Well, let me say for some feedback on the flip side uh, from our angle in dealing with your team is that they're competent and a total delight. And you're obviously surrounding yourself with smart people. Um, you, you talked about your okay. your accessory on The Bachelorette. And then prior to that, The Bachelor, your, your accessory is a glass of wine. I've noticed, uh, my wife and I are watching Tasha's season right now, that it seems like... Uh, the boozing is way down. Like when I think of the, the yeah. earlier, the earliest episodes of, of the bachelor, the bachelorette, it was like a, like everybody had my ties on the side of the pool all the time. Uh, it, it, oh yeah. What's going on? It's that's true. Oh my gosh. I remember when I was on the show and it was, I mean, if your drink was half empty, there was a bartender there to help you get a new one. You could, it was just unlimited. It was whatever you wanted at any time you, you could have a drink. And I mean, that gets a little dangerous for some people. Yeah. And it, I think something happened um, on bachelor in paradise where someone like took it too far. It was just became a dangerous situation. And now they have a two drink limit on the show. So I think oh, they've really? got somebody like a bartender there with like a tally sheet and you can only have two drinks every like hour and a half or something. I, I can't remember exactly what it is, but wow. they're really watching it now. <laughs> so you, you've got to find the teetotaler in the group. You've got to find the non-drinker and then get them to get their two drinks. It's kind of like what we do at the all-inclusives, yeah. right? And then you just start stashing rum and Cokes under the lawn chairs. Uh, that's that's what Jason did when he was on. He he said he would find the one that doesn't drink and yeah. he'd be like, okay, well, I'll take your tallies and you got to find the loopholes. What's it, what's it like to be the, the whole bachelor nation idea? Um, as an entrepreneur, obviously it would be huge for you because you've got a, you've got a base of supporters, a base of people that are always going to be interested in what you're doing, whether it's scrunchies or wine or podcasts or whatever. Um, but you know, I mean, you and Jason uh, on different seasons of the franchise, um, you guys not dating at the time, or, or maybe at least it was off the record, you know, you go to a, a bar and you're having a couple drinks together in Nashville and all of a sudden the internet explodes. That's got to be something that, that takes a little bit of getting used to this, this family, this nation. Yeah, it, it really bachelor nation is honestly crazy in the best way possible. They're very loyal. They're very um, invested in your life and your happiness. And it's, it's like overwhelming, but in a really nice way, because I don't think we'll ever get used to it even I mean it's been a pandemic so I don't even remember what that feels like to like go in public and be recognized but when it happens it's just kind of it's so surreal because you're like well I'm just Caitlin from Leduc like it's uh, just me it's not a big deal but it's yeah it's 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 a fascinating world to be a part of but I mean I I, I give them credit because I wouldn't have what I have without the loyal following and and bachelor nation behind me i wouldn't have won dancing with the stars it's a voting show yeah. um so i'm extremely grateful and that's what i mean obviously the voting show side of it too like you just alluded to it's it's so huge to have the support there but i mean really there were there were some some formidable 
uh, you know, competitors there that working against you with some pretty formidable support bases as well. Your win remarkable, but the fact of the matter is, uh, Caitlin, you went out and you earned it uh, and just did an absolutely remarkable job. What was it like for the, for the girl from Leduc when you took a look, when you finally had a chance to look through your phone and you're probably still going through it. Uh, but, but who did you hear from, from the early days? Who did you hear from, uh, from Alberta or from Western Canada? Some, something that maybe really resonated with you. Oh gosh. So many people actually, um, one in particular, his name is Coulter <laughs> and we went to school together and he was um, really close. Actually, he was dating my girlfriend, Lindsay, at the time who ended up dying in that tragic car accident in one of the episodes I danced for her. And so he reached out and I don't remember the last time I've talked to him, probably close to high school and just talked about how much that meant seeing, um, you know, Lindsay's legacy still live on. And that was a really cool moment for me to hear from him. Uh, but yeah, it's, it, I heard from a lot of people that it really, it warmed my heart hearing from so many people from back home. Let, let me ask you about uh, that in closing, uh, Caitlin. I, I'm just going to be honest with you. When, when the feature ran, uh, you and, and your, your dear friend, Lindsay, who, who you lost uh, in a motor vehicle accident, obviously a devastating uh, loss. You danced in her honor, and it was uh, one of the most beautiful performances I've ever seen. And, and I'm going to be honest oh, with you, I had you. I had tears streaming down my face, and I said to Carrie, my wife, I said, I have no idea how somebody would be able to lock in like Caitlin did and dance the way that she did. What was going through your mind as you were dancing in Lindsay's honor? It was, oh, that was a tough week. Um, the whole, I mean, what you don't see at home is that during the week, we are in the dance studio six hours a day, seven days a week, and it is an absolute grind. And I had not listened to this song um, that I danced to since her funeral because we played it at her funeral, and I just always found it so hard to listen to. So then being in a studio six hours a day, seven days a week, a week hearing this song over and over brought up so many emotions and I cried and cried through dances and perform or not performances, dances in the studio and practices. And I kind of got it all out in the studio and they run that package before you dance and kind of talk about like who she was to you. And I just sat there on the steps with my uh, fingers in my ears and I just didn't listen because I knew I would burst into tears and not be able to dance. So I plugged my ears. And I just like something came over me of strength and I just I held it together until I got off stage. <laughs> well, it was it was a remarkable performance and uh, and, and obviously resonated uh, in a major way with literally millions of people um, and, yeah. and, and ultimately look at this journey. And, and I'm sure that you've had a quiet moment to talk to Lindsay in your own special way yeah. and, and show her that mirror ball, which is totally beautiful. So people will want to know as we thank you for your time, uh, Caitlin, uh, obviously you've got this fantastic wine brand that's growing. You've got your, your, your so involvement with your off the vine podcast, your scrunchies and everything else that people are going to be looking to see what you're putting your name on. Uh, but you've had a quiet moment now to chill out after being in the brightest American spotlight, you know, on <laughs> literally people watching this show from around the world. So, so how much downtime do you give yourself? How many offers do you have on your agent's desk right now? And what, and what is intriguing you the most about your next big project? 
Yeah, that's a great question because it's one that I keep asking myself, like, what is next? Because when I had the thought of going on Dancing with the Stars, I was like, if I win the mirror ball, I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to settle down. I'm going to have a family. I'm going to, you know, just take some time off. And then I got home and I had a few days to relax and I'm like, okay, what's next? (laughs) That's just how my brain works. And uh, I, you know, I started working on some music being in Nashville. Uh, I wrote a couple songs, released them. They did really well. And being in Nashville, something that helps my anxiety actually. And I find very therapeutic is writing music and, and singing. So I might focus on that and be able to just like stay home. I really love the idea. And this happened during the pandemic that I got to actually sit down in my office, be a part of every phone call for every, you know, for scrunchies, for the spade and sparrows. I, I feel like I'm more knowledgeable in my businesses just from being home and um, being more present in, in the like phone calls and everything. So I'm, I'm probably going to focus on those things right now and, I, I have no idea what I'm going to do next. Well, I mean, you, you've set yourself up in, in magnificent fashion to be able to take some time and to be able to sift through what I'm sure are incredible offers and to decide what's best for you and what ultimately, you know, may grow with regards to your own family. And that's got to be a totally exciting time. Caitlin, we are thrilled uh, that you made time for us today. I know a lot of people right now are telling us that they've already subscribed to your Off the Vine podcast and they're going to keep an eye out for oh, the Spade good. and Sparrows wine uh in their favorite wine stores we wish you good health and we wish you pure happiness and thanks again for making time for us today on real talk oh my gosh i have to show you this before we go yeah can you see her there it is look at that so you get to that's not like the stanley cup right you get to keep that forever i get to keep it i get to keep it so thank you so much what's the most fun thing that what's the the biggest adventure that the actual mirror ball has been on so far like you know we hear stories of what what athletes do with their championship trophies how about the mirror ball i know my my uh uncle actually called me he goes i don't see how you're supposed to drink from that thing it's a ball (laughs) you're gonna have to cut a hole in it and pour champagne in it and i'm like the craziest ride this thing's been on was I put it in a travel case and it had to go under the plane from LA to Nashville. And I was so worried about it, but it's, it's, she's home safe. <laughs> yeah. You're Caitlin Bristow. That thing should be buckled in into the seat beside you, but, but I digress. <laughs> Caitlin, thanks for making time for us. All of Alberta is so proud of what you continue to do. And we'll talk to you again sometime. Thank you so much for having me. You're a delight and good luck with your podcast. Oh, thank you so much. That's Caitlin Bristow. She is the champion, the mirror ball champion of Dancing with the Stars, uh, former bachelorette, and of course, the pride of Leduc, Alberta. We'll be back. Uh, what did you make of that? No, I was going to say, maybe if you maybe if you drilled a, a hole in the top and put a cap on it. it You're could still be... thinking of how you can drink out of the mirror ball. Yeah. It could be a good flask. Well, because you know what I was thinking, actually, with her as uh, you've been um, like, have you ever been to like senior frogs or something like that uh, where they have the yard glasses? Yeah, You're yeah, familiar yeah, with the yeah, yard yeah. glass? It's like basically it's a yard. So it's like a three foot tall margarita glass. Uh, which is for most people a bad idea. Uh, but I was thinking that the mirror ball trophy, I don't know if you turned it upside down, right? And then if you had like an ice fishing auger and then just kind of drilled into it from the bottom. You you, you want to go at a trophy with an ice fishing auger. Well, I mean, you know, if you're trying to find a way to make something, I mean, you know, I know people that, 
I know people that make bongs out of apples, man. I mean, I think we can make a yard glass out of a mirror ball trophy. Uh, regardless, <laughs> Caitlin Bristow joins us. I want to let you know coming up on tomorrow's show as we wrap today's, uh, we've got an exclusive one-on-one conversation. We're going to take it from 9 to 10 a.m. tomorrow with Supriya Duvetti. Uh, Supriya uh, just resigned a very high-profile radio job in Toronto from the same network that canned my ass a couple of months ago. So I expect that to be a pretty remarkable conversation. That's coming up tomorrow. You won't want to miss it from 9 to 10 o'clock as we bring you a Friday edition of Real... I- t- uh, okay, what- Oh, yeah. I just I have one last little piece of levity that I wanted to add. <laughs> okay, okay, sure. No, okay, no, that's fine. I, I've tried to rap now twice, but oh, Sam, geez. Sam, okay, Sam no, still wants... I will talk about it tomorrow. No, I'll tell it's you what. It's, it is Real Talk with Sam Brooks. So, Sam, what, <laughs> what, what do you want to say? I, I was going to say... Um, one of the fun parts of my job is, of course, on the laptop in front of me, I get to watch the guests while you're teeing them up or reading an ad or doing the segment before they come on. And when Dr. Lado was on, you were doing your operatic uh, performance of Jason Kenny's graphic design, yeah. and, and she was nearly falling off her chair laughing. Okay. Well, so I'm, I, I'm, I, I know that our guest really appreciated uh, that. I'm glad to hear that, she made, that we made an impression with her. If you missed that interview, make sure you check out the podcast, uh, share it with your friends, and if you do subscribe to us on YouTube, we appreciate it. Make sure you tell your family that's where you're watching Real Talk every day, and, and, and ring that bell so it tells you when the show starts at 8.30 Mountain. We'll talk to you again Friday morning here on Real Talk.